get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Happy Hump Day and welcome to Carriker and Smallman. Good morning. It is 7.01. Woof. 7.01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. It is great to have you with us on this morning that we celebrate the return of baseball. As always, we invite your text, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line and the Rhino Shield mic drop. Use that free 101 ESPN app. You can download that free and send us your mic drop with studio quality. We want to hear what you have to say about the return of baseball. Michelle, how you doing? I am doing great, Randy. Baseball is back. Yeah, it's, uh, for as stupid as they are, they are back and they'll be playing games, presumably on the 24th of July. And right now it is June 24th. So we're a month away from the first pitch of the 2020 Major League Baseball season. I'm still holding my breath. I still think there's a lot of obstacles in play from a health and safety standpoint, obviously. And until I actually see a game, I'm going to hold my breath. But this is positive. We have a date. We know baseball is potentially coming back and I mean more than anything I'm just thankful we don't have to talk about this infighting anymore hopefully the infighting will end for the entire time that they play until hopefully they crown a world champion now there are no guarantees you have to thread a needle it was within minutes after the announcement last night that baseball was going to come back that the Rockies announced that Charlie Blackman one of their best players was one of three players that had tested positive for COVID-19 and you have to believe Michelle that there are going to be multiple players that are going to test positive as we head towards spring training and head towards the season. Absolutely. When all the players start to report for the spring training, they're obviously going to get tested. And I would not be surprised if a larger number than we would anticipate would test positive. And I don't know how baseball is going to handle that, what the protocol is going to be. They are uh, they're going to have to quarantine a lot of guys if they in- indeed do test positive. But they're going to be tested every other day, mm-hmm. and the temperature is going to be taken twice a day, and there are going to be a lot of precautions taken in the ballpark. Here's Jeff Passan of ESPN. Oh, it might be a total disaster. Like, your pessimism <laughs> is completely, it's, it's, no, it's completely warranted. I mean, you know, the, the best way to have done this would have been in a bubble. Baseball had a bubble idea. The player said, we are not going to go live inside of a bubble for four or five months. And the bubble died. And so now we're doing this in home stadiums. And teams are going to be traveling. And we've already seen, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies, seven players, five staff members with coronavirus. Uh, Today, three members of the Colorado Rockies. I mean, this is just an inevitability of what's going to happen, guys. And and the, the big fear is that there's going to be an outbreak uh, the size of which really shuts down a team. And, and if that happens, does the whole sport shut down? Does the teams that were supposed to play against that team just miss games and have to make them up at another time? I mean, there are, there are a lot of questions here, and that 
listen, it's it's a really tough thing to solve. Not to be crass, but I'm looking at this from a wins and losses perspective today. Okay. And the Cardinals have a lot of really good players. The Cardinals have more depth than most teams do. There are maybe a half dozen teams. The Cardinals, Dodgers, Yankees, uh, Rays, A's that have a lot of players. And that's going to benefit the Cardinals for the inevitable positive test. And the fact that you're probably going to have a lot of injuries, too. The Cardinals are pretty well suited to handle a situation like this for a couple of months. I love how you took a potential COVID outbreak among a team and you spun it in a positive Sunshine, for the Cardinals. Sunshine, lollipops, and I'm impressed, rainbows. Randy. Thank you. You know, I know we're all in a good mood today because baseball is back, but that was next level. So I commend you. And how about the uh, not to be crass? I had to. I qualified it too. Yeah, you're just saying. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So there, there are going to be a lot of... There we go. Rainbows. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. There we go. Uh, the Cardinals have depth. DH in both leagues. So the Cardinals will have a designated hitter in the regular season at home for the first time in their history. Not the best baseball, but again, a product of what we're going through and what we're dealing with as a society. That was part of what they needed to get the game back on the field. And so the Cardinals, uh, I believe, Michelle, and we're going to talk about this as the day goes on, especially at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. We talked yesterday to Greg Amzinger about uh, Dylan Carlson. I don't think Dylan Carlson makes the Cardinals starting opening roster. Randy, we were just sunshine lollipops. We were. You took I'm a not, hard left on me here. Yeah. Now this is—they're going to start with a 30-man roster. It's going to be reduced to 28 and then 26. He's not going to get the opportunity to play because there is no minor league baseball. You do start with a 60-man group that includes a taxi squad, and the Cardinals will have a lot of players playing in Springfield. So he'll have the opportunity in spring training and in Springfield to show what he can do. But I believe the Cardinals will carry 17 pitchers to start with 13 position players. And in a situation like this, you can understand why they would take that approach. However, I go back to what Greg Amzinger told us yesterday. If Dylan Carlson is the best person on the field, I don't care about his clock. I don't care about anything. This is a sprint, not a marathon. You play your best players. This is not a crazy concept. It's not, but... I don't know that he's had the opportunity to prove to the Cardinals, and maybe in spring training he'll get that opportunity, that he is one of the best 13. Not one of the best 13, because you did throw in that caveat of him being a young player. and He hasn't cracked the major league roster yet. His clock hasn't started. But... The Cardinals have Yachty and Weeders behind the plate. They're going to be the catchers. Yep. And Andrew Kisner is going to probably be victimized here, too. The Cardinals kept Rangel Ravello from going overseas for this eventuality because they think that he can be a DH. He's going to be on the roster. Matt Carpenter is going to be on the roster. Brad Miller is going to be on the roster. DeYoung and Wong and Goldschmidt and Edmund are all going to be on the roster. That gets you to the outfield. You have room with that group of infielders for four outfielders. Does he make it ahead of Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, Lane Thomas, or Dexter Fowler? I would like to say yes, but in reality, no. That's my issue. And that's going to be the Cardinals' issue. And yes, we would all love to see Dylan Carlson because he has a chance to be a difference maker. But I would think until you get to September, and they're going to have 28-man rosters in September... And he gets an opportunity to show what he can do down in Springfield in those inter-squad workouts. I think it'll be tough for the Cardinals to have him up. Man, just dashing dreams. But we're going to have 
a lot of fun things happen. For example, the Cardinals are one of the great fundamental teams in baseball, right? Right. They can run the bases. They can field extra innings. Teams begin with a runner on second base. This three weeks, there will be more focus on bunting than there's been in baseball in 20 years. Because you get to extra innings, you bunt that runner over. You get a runner home with less than two out. That's going to be fun. A lot of people in St. Louis are going to love that. And especially because it's going to put a premium on not striking out. Yeah. You have to get your bat on the ball. In Absolutely. So batting practice, I think, will take a different tone for Major League Baseball teams. Teams will have that taxi squad that, as we said, allows them as many as 60 players available to play in Major League games. So if the inevitable occurs and the Cardinals do, hey, all due respect, Tyler O'Neill's on your team. You're going to have a pulled hamstring or something, right? So Dylan Carlson will get a chance. Someone's going to have a hammy. Except with all due respect. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so, and there's going to be a special COVID-19 injured list with no minimum or maximum time of length spent on it, while standard injured list stints will still be for 10 days, and the typical 60-day stint will instead be for 45 in a 66-day season. So, while I understand why there wouldn't be a maximum length, a minimum, don't you think, would be at least 14 days? You would think so. When I read that last night, I thought, what? Minimum? No minimum. If someone tests positive, I don't want them anywhere near anyone for 14 days. No, you don't. But what if they test negative after six days for three days in a row or two days in a row? True. So I think that's why you want to have that set up. And Jeff Passon says that COVID-19 is going to play a big role in this 60-game season. I think a lot of this ultimately depends on baseball's stomach. How much is baseball willing to stomach COVID? Like that's the that's the big question. And you've you've seen companies that have stayed open and that have adhered to to new protocols and that have continued operating and staying in business. Baseball is totally different than most companies, most organizations, and has its own challenges, but the, the question to me is, will they be able to get through spring training? If they can get through spring training, I think there is going to be a, a strong incentive to continue going. And uh, if they make it to, to July 23rd or 24th, I think we're going to have a season. And spring training starts in a week, July 1. So excited. But Jeff Passan is correct. That's when you're going to get the rash of positive tests, when the guys are coming back together and they've been out in the world interacting with other people. Their environments may not have been as controlled as teams would have preferred. And how baseball deals with that is going to be very telling. Michelle, other big news today, and we talked a lot about this on Monday and yesterday. The FBI determined yesterday and released a statement last night that Bubba Wallace, the... uh only African-American NASCAR driver is not the victim of a hate crime. And the report concludes, photographic evidence confirms that the garage door pull rope, fashioned like a noose, had been positioned there since as early as last fall. NASCAR said this was obviously well before the 43 team's arrival and garage assignment. So you might be thinking, is this a setup? Here's Ryan McGee of ESPN this morning on Golik and Wingo. The FBI looked at every single one of those pull-down ropes in the Talladega Superspeedway garage, and the only one that was tied in this configuration was the one in garage number four. And so the fact that it was a noose is indisputable. And and also the, you know, the tenfold cat of, of conspiracy theory folks who all want to say that, you know, Bubble was in on this and Richard Petty was in on this. And, and no, there's, there's no way that could possibly have happened because 
there's no way they could have predicted where they would be in the point standings, which determines what garage stall they would have been in. There's no, particularly with the pandemic restrictions, uh, the teams are much smaller. They're more spread out for social distancing. So there was, there was no way for anyone to have known that the 43 car would have been in garage stall number four this weekend. My first reaction is I'm glad that it wasn't a hate crime yeah. because I don't want to live in a world where things like that happen. And it's unfortunate that they do. So I am relieved that it wasn't at, like specifically directed towards Bubba Wallace. And to me, yes, it opens up some more questions that Ryan McGee answered a lot of my questions that I had, but I still think what happened was great. It was still Bubba Wallace saying, hey, I deal with a lot of stuff that you guys don't deal with. And it was his fellow racers and NASCAR as a whole banding around him and standing up for the right thing. And it was completely reasonable based on the fact that he was the force behind NASCAR eliminating the Confederate flag. It was reasonable for people to conclude that somebody had offered retribution against Bubba Wallace because he was the guy that said, we can't have the Confederate flag anymore. And people in that region of the country feel extremely strongly about that. They do. They do. And just the... the fact that so many other people saw it and it wasn't just him and that NASCAR saw it and felt so strongly about it that they put out a statement leads me to believe it was just a big misunderstanding and I'm grateful that it was. Yeah, thank goodness that there wasn't somebody with those sorts of motives to try to intimidate Bubba. And one more thing, I did think about this because we talked about it on Monday, is how unusual it was for NASCAR to deliver that statement and how we were happy that they did because the old NASCAR would have swept it under the rug. And if nobody would have heard about this, it would have been a completely different situation. And it's hard to bring the FBI in and not have anybody uh, hear about it. But this is one where people did draw conclusions about that sport. And fortunately, like you say, uh, those conclusions were unfounded. Yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And we've been doing this show now. This is, I think, week seven of uh, Carriker and Smallman. We started on May 4th and today's June 24th. And Michelle and I have known each other for a long time. But how well do we really know each other? That's next on 101 ESPN. Michelle, how well do you know me? We're about to find out. Yes, we are. Uh, it's a game of who knows the other better. And we both submitted facts about each other to Colin Surrey. And we don't know these facts about each other. At least we don't think we do. So Colin is going to ask us questions about each other. And we're going to find out. I want to say before we get started, I am at a clear competitive disadvantage because Randy is Megamind. He remembers everything. And I have a terrible, terrible memory. So this is really unfair. But let's continue. No, I think it's incredibly fair. Oh, come on, Michelle. You can't just come out and, I'm just saying. and have a disclaimer right off of the bat. I feel like I'm, a, I'm doing the fight because I know what it's like to go up against that, that brain. All right. Colin has the questions. Take it away. All right, Michelle. Which was, which was the first car for Randy? What was his first car? Oh, Lord. What was your first car? Um... Because I have truly no idea. What would a young stud Randy character be rolling around? A Mustang. 
close though. I was 17 and I had an orange Firebird formula. Randy. Pontiac Firebird formula. Yeah. Fire emojis. Yeah. You were the cool guy, right? It was a it was a cool car, yeah. You know, before Colin said stud, I was gonna go with a van. <laughs> <laughs> well, that question's coming up later. <laughs> All right, Randy. Which one of these three foods would Michelle not eat? No, no, no. There's one of three foods that I won't eat. Oh, which one of these three will she not eat? Okay. Okay. No, no, don't give him the options. There's three okay. foods. I'll, three I'll foods, three foods you that name, you will not eat. Can you oh, name, one can of the you three name one of the three foods that I refuse to eat? I, I know these. Uh, okay, what do you hate? Um, I know you're a meat girl. <laughs> um, I am going to go. I'll start with oysters. Love oysters. Do you? East Coast, West Coast. Give me a little brine in there. Some mignonette. Oh, yeah, Randy. Oysters are the best. Okay. Um, the only other one that I could think of would be Brussels sprouts. Oh. You like them? Love Brussels sprouts. Okay. Roast them in the oven. A little lemon. A little Parmesan. Get them crispy. Okay. So what are the three, then? Hard-boiled eggs. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Hard-boiled eggs, cottage cheese, and mushrooms. I knew the cottage cheese one. That you, I'm just disappointed in myself. I can't even look at it. It makes me want to throw up. And all of those would be, from just the texture standpoint, things that you wouldn't want to put in your mouth, right? I, I don't like the texture of hard-boiled eggs either, and I can see how you would not. Katie doesn't like mushrooms because of the texture, my daughter. So I've tried to like mushrooms. I desperately want to like mushrooms. They're in a, a lot of amazing dishes. It's the it's the smell. Hard-boiled eggs, it's not only the texture, but the smell. I just, how can someone eat that? One time I was on an airplane, and a girl sat next to me, and she pulls out a plastic bag filled with hard-boiled eggs, and she goes, do you mind if I eat these? And I said, yes. <laughs> I, will, I will throw up if you eat these. And she got offended, and I said, you asked, so you know that this is gross. You would not have asked. Ask me if you did not know that this would offend people. And we were on one of those small, tiny planes. I was like, spare everyone. Do not open the bag. Also, get a better snack on a plane. Yeah, it's not a great snack. Not a great snack. Good for you, Michelle. Most Thank people, you. they ask those questions as like, here, I'm going to throw this out here. But you're supposed to answer the way I want you to. Right. And I'm never going to see her again in my entire life. And I didn't have to throw up on an airplane. So... I won. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michelle, this one might be a little bit easier for you, considering it's 50-50. Okay. True or false, Randy once owned a school bus. <laughs> I'm going to go true. <laughs> it was a blue school bus originally, uh, previously owned by the Rock Hill Baptist Church of Manchester. I bought it when I was a senior in high school. Yes, see, that's why I was going to say bus. I knew it. Yeah. And uh, it was a 66-passenger school bus that was originally purchased to convert into a camper that we would take down to Florida for spring break. Spring break. Never made it that far, but we did paint it. Uh, the football cardinals were here. We painted it uh, crimson and cream, and we put the cardinal football cardinal logo and did go down and tailgate with it a few times. Sounds awesome. And one time, when it was still 
blue, I got pulled over. I was up here at the intersection of Craig and Olive. I got pulled over because I matched the description of a purse snatcher. Uh, by the way, it was a standard transmission. I was learning how to drive a, a stick with a school bus. I could barely start at the light to try to turn left onto Craig Road. And the cop pulls me over thinking that I'm going to steal a purse and then try to learn how to drive a clutch with a 66-passenger blue school bus. Not exactly the getaway car you no. would have wanted. <laughs> so they take, take me into Deerberg's and uh, showed me the, the to the woman at the front desk, and she said, no, that's not him. I said, yeah, not really. I'm, uh, my getaway car is kind of a kind of an auspicious getaway car. <laughs> Did that um, bus have a name? It seems like a bus that would have a name. No, it really didn't. I, we should have given it a name. Yeah, always give a good car a name. All right, Michelle's at one of two now. Time to keep pace, Randy. Okay. Who is Michelle's celebrity crush? I gave Colin one answer, but another one will be acceptable. Okay. Well, we we used to talk about this in the fast lane, so I thought you might remember this one. Okay. See, this is Meg mindset that should yeah. pop up. Um, Justin Timberlake. Nailed it. And I was going to think Jay-Z would be the other one. No. Okay. No, no. Like him. But yeah, who, who's the other one besides JT? I, I would have also allowed Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Yeah. Because I think I, everyone has a crush I, on I him. remember JT, yeah. It's okay. pretty, it, it's kind of beyond a crush, isn't it? It's really been a lifelong obsession partnership between he and I. I have supported him during bad hairstyles and terrible albums. And... Uh, He's given me a lot of great songs, too. Well, to and to. at a concert, you made eye contact, correct? We did. He was hanging from a beam and swooped over right by me when we locked eyes, and it was a thing. <laughs> Sorry, Jessica Biel, it was a thing. <laughs> okay, Michelle. Who is Randy's current male dog named after? Jake Allen. So close. So close. His name is Moose. He's named after Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott. Yes. Dang it. I, I got too quick on the draw there. If I would have actually thought about it, I would have gotten it right. And we had Jake on the show one time and told him, with uh, nothing against you, but the dog is named Moose. And he said, I almost named my dog Moose, too. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we talked a little bit about taking off on your birthday yesterday. When is Michelle's birthday, Randy? August 13th. I gave you a layup there. Yeah. Very nice, Randy. Very nice. Oh, he's pulling away. Brian <laughs> Elliott. I knew it, too. I knew it was Moose. Gosh. Okay, Michelle. It's going to haunt me. What is Randy's favorite color? I've given you a hint already in these questions. I have one of two things I want to guess. Is it red? Mm. Oh. What was your second guess? Well, my second guess was blue. I was going Cardinals or Blues. Orange, Randy. You do look great. You do look great in orange. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Now for you, Randy. What was the first show Michelle worked on while she was at ESPN? Okay, it was... um, (laughs) This is a tough one. It it was Sedano. But who was George working with? It was... Oh, uh, Jen Lada, George and Jen. Oh, nailed it, Randy. Good job. Very well done. <laughs> See? That's good memory stuff. Okay, who won? 
we know who won. <laughs> it's Randy. Megamind strikes again. What a surprise. The car, the car thing really got me. I no idea what your first car was. That was a tough I, question. I brought it up on the air before. I, I wondered if you remembered. So I, it is a tough question. But now you know. Now I know. Yeah. And it, that was the hint that it was orange. Oh, got it. Got it. Yeah. I thought because you painted your your bus Cardinals mm-hmm. colors that that was uh-huh. the hint. Even though that red was different. Yeah. But still. That was fun. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Coming up, Bob Nightingale of USA Today on the return of baseball. Bob will join us next on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. It's Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN Baseball. Scheduled to be back with spring training opening next week. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and our friend, friend of the station, friend of the show, Bob Nightingale of USA Today. Kind enough to take some time with us. And Bob, we know that you've been really busy and you've worked some late nights lately. So we really appreciate you taking time with us this morning. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. Bob, now that we've come to the agreement that baseball is going to be played, Randy and I were just talking about this in the first segment. We're still very concerned about COVID-19 and how this is going to affect teams. Once the guys start to report from their hometowns and the environments they're in, we're likely to see a lot of positive tests here. How do you think baseball is going to handle that in the early parts of spring training? Yeah, there's like a hundred one page protocol, health and protocol, uh, that has gone out to all the teams and players. So, yeah, they got to get tested upon arrival. Uh, and if they test positive, then they're uh, self-quarantined. I believe it's for a week. And then you're not allowed to back into the facility until you test negative twice. Bob, I, I have to believe that this is going to be the most unpredictable season ever. And you mentioned today in your piece at usatoday.com the teams that were within striking distance last year at the All-Star break and at the 60-game mark. Heck, at the 60-game mark last year, both the Cardinals and the Nationals, the NLCS combatants and the eventual world champion Washington Club, they, weren't, they wouldn't have made the playoffs after 60 games last year. So this is really going to be an interesting and unpredictable couple of months, isn't it? Yeah, it really is, man. I mean, uh, you know, it's going to be so wild. And you, if you have one bad week, it could sink you for the season. Uh, you know, in 10 days, you might be in the playoffs. So it gives hope to all the teams that had no chance of playoffs. And I think it diminishes some of the, uh, the great teams. And on paper, you know, two of the great teams were considered the Dodgers and New York Yankees because of their depth. And now, you know, you don't need depth of just 60 games. Bob, a lot of times we talk about managers and we say that they don't really have that much of an impact on the outcome of games. But with this sprint, not a marathon, it seems like managers and roster management and approach is going to be a huge X factor in this season. No, no, you're right, Michelle. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, during the playoffs, you see so many different things, some crazy things really with the way managers manage games. And there's so much more urgency. So guys will bring in starters to pitch and relief, uh, you know, pull up pull starters from games quickly, that sort of thing. And so I think we can see it now. And when you think about it, just the, the math-wise, every game now is worth, you know, 2.7 games normally. Uh, you know, it just, it, so it's it's not a, uh, it's not a math, it, it really is a sprint. It's almost going to have the same kind of feeling, with, you know, when your NFL team wins or loses, uh, it's going to have that kind of impact. 
Bob, we had so much consternation over getting to this point, and you've reported on it from day one. If we would have asked you a month ago if anything in this agreement would have surprised you, would it have, or, or is this kind of what you expected we would have? Yeah, I, mean, I thought we would have reached agreement. I, I really thought the two sides were going to uh, settle on something. So it, it's a, uh, you know, it, it's strange here. I mean, everything's, you know, black and white now. There's no, uh, you know, there's no extra money anywhere. There's no playoff pool. So the strange thing about this one, Randy, is so because there was no agreement, uh, just mandated by uh, Rob Manford, is say the, the players were making like $700,000 or less, say a guy like, Say, say a guy like Jack Flaherty. Uh, Jack Flaherty won't get paid a penny for the rest of the year. Uh, he already got about $285,000 in upfront money. And that's it. Uh, if the Cardinals get to the World Series and win the World Series, they don't get a single penny in a postseason uh, pool. There's no World Series bonus because the way it's normally structured is that you, know, you get paid on uh, gate receipts. Well, if no fans are allowed in the stands, there'd be no gate. Bob, who are a few teams that fans should be paying attention to that you think will have a good advantage with the 60-game setup? Well, I mean, I would think still on paper, you know, the Dodgers are still, you know, the favorite to, uh, you know, win the National League uh, pennant. You know, we'll see we'll see what happens. Obviously, the Cardinals are still being very good. Uh, I look for teams like the uh, veteran teams that had no chance in a long season. I'm, I'm taking a look at the, the San Francisco Giants, who have a bunch of veteran players. You say, you know what? If those guys can stay healthy and hot, uh, you know they got a good chance. Because now with just sixty games, those veterans who normally get tired uh, in the summer, you know now they're going to be fresh all year. Uh, you know, and the young guys have to step up right away. Can't take time and say, okay, uh, you know they'll, they'll be fine in a couple of months. You got to be fine right now. And another team, Bob, and Cardinal fans won't like to hear this, but from a talent standpoint, don't the Cubs fit into that too? Even though we don't know what David Ross is going to be as a manager, a, a lot of, well, not a lot, but they, they have veteran talent, but not a ton of depth. But if they can keep people healthy for 60 games, the Cubs can be as good as anybody. Yeah, with guys like, uh, you know, John Lester, who's uh, an aging pitcher, those sort of things. And those guys that have been together, I, I think it is going to help the uh the veteran teams, you know, Randy, who have played together and not just incorporate a lot of young guys. You know, for instance, I would think this would hurt the Cincinnati Reds because they have a lot of new additions. I think it's going to be tougher. Those young guys are just players in general to mesh all of a sudden when you have three weeks of spring training camp. And a lot of those guys won't be together at the same complex. There'll be at different complexes. Uh, you know, you know, the Cardinals are training at Bush Stadium. I'm sure they'll probably be using some, you know, college field too, you know, that that's nearby. And you're not supposed to have everybody there at once. So you have sixty guys training. You're gonna have to stagger those workouts all day long. Bob, pre pandemic the big storyline in baseball was about the Astros and the cheating scandal. And then you hear the news about the Red Sox and then the Yankees and there was going to be a lot going on as far as that before everything shut down. Do you think that teams will still be angry about the Astros and want to get their retribution on the team? Or do you think that since so much has happened it's gonna kinda of be brushed aside? Well, yeah, I'd be curious. So now with the way it's lined up, the, the uh, Astros and Dodgers play each other. They were not supposed to play each other. The Dodgers think they got robbed of the World Series uh, twice, once by the Astros, uh, once by the uh, by the Boston Red Sox. So uh, there was so much bad blood about the, that. I could see uh, the Dodgers, you know, 
playing very tough and, you know, he challenged maybe in a war of words, but with no fans, you know, no one's going to be booing or anything like that. And remember now, this new agreement, you know, uh, fighting is strictly prohibited. So I think there's going to be some severe discipline if anyone breaks out to a brawl. That's a, that's a great point. And it'll be really noticeable on TV if the Astros are pounding on that trash can. <laughs> Hey, Bob, uh, you covered Whitey Herzog teams. And rem- remember, Whitey always said, hey, if a guy can't bunt, he can't make my team. You think with the new rules in uh, extra innings that bunting and not striking out will be perhaps at a premium now? Maybe that'll be taught and thought about a little bit more. Oh, absolutely, Randy. I mean, because, uh, you know, the conventional way to, uh, in, the, in those extra inning games now, the runner on second base is you put the guy to third base and, you know, sacrifice fly, you know, get him in. Uh, so yeah, uh, you, you better be able to bunt when you're that first batter up in the, uh, in the 10th inning. So I've seen those things, uh, work in the international play. And it's, it's, uh, if it's a great game, you kind of hate to see it in that way. So I think baseball purists, and there's, you know, so many in St. Louis. I'm not sure they're going to love this concept. Bob Nightingale, great to hear your voice, and we know you've been working hard. We appreciate it, and as we get going with games, we will absolutely have you on the show again. Thanks for getting up with us this morning. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Michelle. See you, Bob. That's our friend Bob Nightingale of USA Today, and he has been on top of this, and it's... it's going to be, a, especially for us in the National League and in St. Louis, it's going to be a different looking sport. It's going to be very different. And I know a lot of fans at the outset will probably take some time getting used to it. But I also think so much of it is going to be different from an aesthetic standpoint anyway that we might just say, hey, whatever, and roll with it. And there are going to be reporters, and I have not seen yet whether or not I'm, we'll talk to Danny Mac later on in the show. I'm not sure if broadcasters are going to be allowed in the ballpark, but reporters are going to be allowed in the ballpark with limited access to the players in a press conference setting. So I would hope that the TV production, aside from fans not being in the stands, would be similar to what we see on a regular basis. I certainly hope so, yeah. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We want to hear from you with Teoli on 101 ESPN. It is Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Information you need to know here on Carriker and Smallman every morning. And we like to provide it. So we've got two things. One from Michelle, one from me. Uh, This from the text line. How are they going to determine who goes to second base to start the 10th inning of a tie game? Will it be next man up? Can you use a player who had previously been in the game? The way it's set up is that you are going to send out the guy who made the last out. So, for example, Harrison Bader made the last out for the Cardinals in the ninth inning. You're in pretty good shape, sending him out to second to start the tenth. If you're the Angels and Albert Pujols made the last out in the ninth, you probably want to use a pinch runner yeah. for Albert to start the, the tenth inning. Love Albert, but yeah, I think you're going to step someone in. And then the other information that you need to know is the difference between East Coast and West Coast oysters. Have we nailed this down yet? Yes, so East Coast oysters, they're typically smoother and they have the briny, savory flavor. West Coast oysters, um, they say they have a ruffled shell with a deeper cup. Okay. And do you have a preference for either one? No, I do not discriminate. I tend to like um, oysters with more of a, like the smooth melon fruit type finish. I would go for that too. Yeah. 
Briny oysters are good, too, but sometimes they're a little too minerally for my liking. Colin is here with your Take It or Leave It. Teoli is now. Colin, what do you have for us? We've got all kinds of Teolis on the actual game of baseball. It is beautiful. Take it or leave it. Dylan Carlson makes the opening day active roster after what you heard Greg Amzinger say about him yesterday. Taking it all day. We're putting it into the universe. And Greg Amzinger said when he saw the Cardinals in spring training, Dylan Carlson was the best player on the field. And this is a sprint, not a marathon. How many times do we have to say it? If it is a sprint, you do not have the leash that a lot of these players would normally have. I always am in the camp of play your best players anyway, regardless of contract, service time, etc. So I would love to see Dylan Carlson on the roster. Michelle, everything you said there was very well thought out, very lucid, very well presented. Thank you, Randy. But wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I'm just putting together a Cardinal roster here, and they're going to load up on pitchers. And they aren't going to have a position player spot for Carlson on July 23rd or 24th, unfortunately. And that clock is going to be a part of it. And while I have incredible respect for Greg Amzinger, and I totally get what you're saying, and I love that you put it in the universe, yeah. and I want it to be the case, I just don't think it's going to be. Well, we'll find out who's right soon I, enough. And I'm, I'm rooting for you to be right and me to be wrong. We want baseball to come back anyway, but just think about how exciting that would be if we oh, finally yeah. got our first taste of Dylan Carlson when Great. we get baseball back after a long hiatus. It would be awesome. Would you be okay with uh, Dylan Carlson wearing number three in the Cardinal outfield? He's been number eight in the minors. He's not going to be 68, which he was in spring training. No, he can't be 68. Uh, Carlos Beltran was three here, and that was good. I would give him three. I was a big Carlos Beltran fan. I thought he was a great representative for the Cardinal. What an elegant player. But after yeah. his role in the cheating scandal, give Carlson number three. Yeah, let that let him get that retired. Yeah, let him get it retired. Absolutely. From the 618 on the Air Comfort Service text line, take it or leave it, Matt Carpenter is the best option to DH. I'm going to take that, Michelle. I, I think Edmund at third and Carpenter as the DH gives the Cardinals their best opportunity to succeed both offensively and defensively. I'm going to take it as well because in theory, yes, but I just hope Matt Carpenter during the offseason was able to find his rhythm again and that he's not going to go up there and need a lot of time to get in sync offensively. Right. He, his value for the Cardinals, the reason that they gave him that contract is because he's an offensive player, right? right? And hopefully that offense is there this year. Another from the 618. Take it or leave it. Randy had some ragers on that bus back in the day. Oh, without a doubt, take it. You don't buy a bus unless you plan on having ragers. <laughs> I'm going to leave it. We had a pretty mild-mannered group. We were sports fans. We were nutty sports fans as teenagers. That's but, a rager. Okay. But there wasn't a significant amount of alcohol involved. I think, it, can you have a rager without a ton of booze? To me, a rager is a group of people. It's a party environment that's at a 10. Okay, well then, yeah, we. if that's the de definition, then yes, ragers occurred on the bus. And Take with the or, bus. <laughs> Take it or leave it. Everyone's going to forget about the mess baseball went through to get to this point when Jack Flaherty takes the mound for the first regular season game. I'm going to take that everybody in St. Louis will. Yes. Take it as well, especially because Jack Flaherty was involved in the question, so that's the way I'm going to interpret it as well. I've been on such an emotional roller coaster with this thing. It felt like every day 
I I changed who I was mad at. I changed the way I felt about baseball. I got to the point where I was so apathetic about it. I was like, I just don't want to hear about this anymore. And then you hear yesterday that the season is starting. I'm like, let's go. Where's my Cardinals gear? Let's go. So with that being the case, take it or leave it. The Cardinals opener against whoever it's against will be the highest rated regular season game that they've ever had in St. Louis. That's a really good question. And I think I might take it. I'm going to take it, too. I was going to say there's a lot of other games like Albert's Return, things like that, that would be in the conversation. But to think that people still aren't really doing as much as they used to, and they've been starved for baseball, and it's going to be the thing in St. Mm -hmm. Louis, I'm definitely going to take it. Take it or leave it. Jordan Hicks sits this season out. Ooh. Leave it. He's going to... Well, the diabetes could be an issue. Yeah. They don't want to deal with the diabetes. Uh, But... (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I'm going to take that he sits it out because I think he is he, he's immune compromised. Um, going to take it. After we talked to Danny Mack and he brought that up, that was something I thought of too, and it's certainly not something that you want to risk. But, gosh, what a weapon he would be. And he's right, it's right at that time when he would be returning. Right. I'd love to leave it. He's going to want to pitch, though, isn't he? I know. He? I know. That's what I'm thinking. He's ready to go. Maybe we should leave that. Well, Again, should we just put it in the universe and leave it? Yeah. Say he's going to be there? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. He's a Cardinal closer for game one of the NLDS. Okay, love it. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals are going to be ultra aggressive when the transaction freeze lifts on Friday. I'm going to leave that. They're comfortable with the group of players that they have. And I don't believe... I, I don't think, and I don't know this, but I don't think that they're going to be really aggressive for Arenado quite yet. I think ultimately they will, but I don't think now is the time to be aggressive for him. Yeah, I'm going to leave it. I don't think we usually use ultra-aggressive transactions and Cardinals in the same sentence. No. <laughs> so, leave it. Take it or leave it. You can't count out the Pirates in a 60-game season. I'm going to leave that. You can count the Pirates out. They're one of the teams that you can count out this year. Who else is in that category that you're automatically counting them out? Well, the Cardinals will get to see the Royals and the Tigers. Yep. And you can count those teams out. They aren't going anywhere. I, I would think that uh, in the, that American League Central, the Indians will have a shot. The Twins and the White Sox will have a shot. In the National League Central... I really think the Pirates are the only team that doesn't have a shot. And because of Don Mattingly, I think he's kind of an underrated manager, I would even throw the Marlins in there as a team that has a chance. Take it or leave it, baseball cannot afford to put high-risk managers and coaches in the dugout with their players. I'm going to leave it because of the testing protocol that will be in place. I'm going to take it because... That's the last thing that baseball needs is to have someone who's high risk get infected and have serious health ramifications because of this. We've had a, we've got a fan base that's been rooting for that in the past. Not with this particular manager, no, but you know what I'm saying. Shilty. What are you talking yeah, about? Not with this manager, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying. I pi- I'm picking up what you're throwing <laughs> down, Randy. Um, but no, I think the protection for managers, managers are young generally these days. They're they're strapping young lads. So I think they'll be fine. Yeah, a lot of former players. Yeah. Take it or leave it. If the manager before Schilt was still the manager of the Cardinals, St. Louis would have to eat a lot of Tums watching these games. Yeah, I'll take that. Thanks, Matheny. No doubt.
Uh, by the way, speaking of healthy managers, I don't know if you're you're aware of this or if I've ever told you this, but one time Joe Girardi was interviewed on MLB Network, and Joe Girardi's in great shape. He said that he can get his satisfaction of sweets by eating one M&M. What? Yeah. I don't believe it's the case. I don't think anybody can do it, but that's what Joe Girardi claims. I don't believe that for a second. One M&M? One M&M. He, thinks, he says that's satisfying enough for him to satisfy his sweet tooth. No chance. What's the point? Exactly. It's like drinking decaf coffee. What's the point? Yeah, why? Why? Why, why even open the bag? Why even buy the bag? Or mm. if it's provided for you in the clubhouse. One M&M? No. That is such a small... Okay, are we talking peanut M&Ms, which are larger in size? Sounds to me like it was a regular M&M, just so that he could get his chocolate fix. I could think of ten other things off the bat that you could take one bite of that would get you a better chocolate fix than a singular M&M. I agree with you. That's why I think it's just so bizarre. We need to get Joe. We need to effort Joe Girardi and talk to him about this. Former Cardinal Joe Girardi. Yeah, we have to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And then what do you do with the bag? You open the bag, you take one out, and you just leave the bag sitting there? Wasteful. And then the next day, you remove another, and then another. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just one. And M&M's obviously last for a long time. Maybe that's... But if you have a a bowl of M&M's on your desk, there's no way that you only eat one in a day. You have to hide it. Yeah. You have to put it in a special place that takes effort. there... It doesn't matter what the taste is like. You're just going to grab it because of the color. Yeah. I, I cannot get past this. One M&M. It's a crazy thing. I know. That's one of those things that you, that you if you do do that, you don't tell people. Yeah, and he, he put it out there on national TV. By the way, not that I dislike M&Ms, but one time we visited Hershey, Pennsylvania, and in terms of confectioners, <laughs> I am totally on Team Hershey, as opposed to Team Mars or M&M Mars. I'm totally Team Hershey. They're, the, the candy that Hershey produces is so much better. The chocolate is so much better. By the way, all due respect to our friends, I don't know if they're, well, I guess, yeah, we used to have, is Nestle Purina still Nestle Purina? They don't make candy bars here. The Nestle's Crunch Bar might be the most disgusting candy bar out there. And after like two days, they turn white and they're gross and stuff. I'm not a Nestle's, I'm not a Nestle's guy. I'm totally a Hershey's guy. And Hershey's makes Reese's, so that changes things a little bit. But give me her any Hershey product. The only thing that M&M's Mars, and I like the M&M, and I like the Mars bar, but they would be in the back half of my top 10 to Hershey products. See, I don't know where to go with this because I just Googled what I believe to be the grossest candy bar, and it is a Hershey product. Really? What is it? Mounds. I love mounds. No, you don't. <laughs> yep. if, if it's Halloween and you have your bucket no. of candy and you dump it out, you're never going mounds Michelle, first. what's my favorite thing? It's chocolate-covered almonds. Now, mounds is, uh, but a coconut chocolate-covered almond is great. Almond Joy has nuts. Mounds don't. Mounds are Almond Joy without the, the almond. They're great. Randy. 
You have this big bucket of candy. You dump it out. Snickers. Those baby Twix. You have Starburst. You have Skittles. You have Milky Ways. You have whatchamacallits. And then there's a Mounds. You're never going Mounds. Mounds is going to be in there. No. The, the Hershey bar is going to be in there. The straight Hershey bar. We're not making s'mores, Randy. We're enjoying a candy bar. The, it, but the delicious melt-in-your-mouth chocolate that Hershey provides is unlike any other. That's and then what it, she said. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, which changes the game really for everybody else, doesn't it? Totally. I didn't even throw them in the mix. Huge yeah. miss by me. Because you've got, all due respect to all other candies, you've got Reese's, and then Reese's is secretariat in the Belmont. They're 31 lengths ahead of everybody else. So you, if you're putting together a top 10, you've got one, and then, okay, let's figure out what the next nine are. But if you could put the different kinds of Reese's in there, and they'd be top four. Yeah, so you're dark chocolate Reese's, white chocolate Reese's. So what I'm hearing here, Randy, is that you're still choosing Mounds last. That you're yes, pick, you're picking it, four different forms of a Reese's peanut butter cup before you're uh, even considering Mounds. I will confess this: that I would take a Snickers bar ahead of a Mounds bar. Yeah, of course. But otherwise, Team Hershey for me. You walk down the streets of Hershey, Pennsylvania, and it smells like chocolate. They have Hershey's Kisses shaped light poles. They're awesome. So they've got, they've got the light pole, and they're, they're, the lights, the, the fixtures are shaped like Hershey's Kisses. And the whole town smells like Hershey's chocolate. It's awesome. So you know how we work in sports, and while it's our passion, it's our job as well. Sometimes it's like, oh, man, another game. We're never going to feel that way again in the absence of sports, but it was before. Do you think people that work in Hershey, Pennsylvania are like, oh, chocolate over it? It's my job. Chocolate is my career. I don't think they are. They seem pretty enthusiastic about it. So you get to ride on like a boat of chocolate, in chocolate. and It's so Wonka-esque. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. So, got to make that trek at some point. Uh, and then the Hershey Bears play there. The Philadelphia Phillies or Philadelphia Flyers uh Minor league team. I th- no, maybe the Rangers minor league team. Now. That is Tioli. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Coming up, fresh take on 101 ESPN. 8.07, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Baseball coming back and spring training will start next week, July 1st, here in St. Louis at Bush Stadium. And Michelle, let's focus in on the Cardinals. We talked earlier about the overall return of baseball, but the return of the Cardinals and what this shortened 2020 season might bring. And let's start with uh, Bill with the Third, the Cardinal president who was on Fox 2 last night. And talked about how baseball got to this point. Owners and players have been getting beat up in the press, and, and rightfully so. We, we should have gotten our act together um, from a negotiating and a you know relationship standpoint uh, uh, longer ago. But once the games start, I think it'll be about the action on the field. And there are a lot of hard issues. I mean, in fairness to both Rob Manford and Tony Clark, you know, you don't just fall out of bed and strike a deal on a on something like this. You don't, but it shouldn't take three and a half months to put together a plan to have a two-month season. When you're fighting over the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. And ultimately, what it did come down to, even with the pandemic, is money. We we came down, it came down to money. So here we have the Cardinals. Uh, at first blush, with the shortened spring training, a relatively young team that has a pretty good mix of veterans and young players, but 
with the knowledge, Michelle, that they're going to play within their division. That's 40 of their games. The other 20 are going to be against the American League Central. How do you feel about the Cardinals? I feel really good about the Cardinals. Uh, I like what they're facing schedule-wise. I like their depth. I like... We talked about pitching depth earlier in the week. I like that as well. I think they're set up to be pretty good. I'm with you. I think that the key, the key for this club is going to be Paul Goldschmidt getting off to a fast start and being hot all year. Remember, he got off to, even though he hit the three home runs in the second game last year, his first 60 games were not great. And granted, you had Ozuna get hurt at that point, too. Mm -hmm. But... Without Marcelo Zuna and without somebody who you say, okay, that's our number four hitter, I think it's imperative offensively for the Cardinals to get Goldschmidt, Arizona-type production from him. When he first came here, I remember Matt Carpenter called him the force multiplier. When he goes, everyone else goes. And that's my one, well, there's a few, but that's my number one concern for this team is the last time we saw them, they were ice cold offensively. And I know they've had a a very long time offseason and then offseason plus to focus on their approach, focus on the Jeff Albert principles, and that they should be in a better place. But let's say that they start out cold again and that it takes them time to find that offensive groove, Paul Goldschmidt included. That They don't have time to do that. They need to have fixed everything in the in the off season and in the um, the pandemic break because I just as excited as we are for baseball to return. Imagine if the Cardinals come back and we see the offense that we saw last year. Can't have that. Can't and have that. I'm confident in DeYoung. I'm confident in Wong, and especially with the spring training that both of those two had. I'm confident in Colton Wong being the Cardinal leadoff hitter. I think the Cardinals' top three uh, should be able to compete with anybody and. I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't have Wong and Marp back-to-back because I don't want to have another team bring in a left-handed hitter that's going to have to face a minimum of three hitters anyway, a, th- a left-handed pitcher mm-hmm. to face both Wong and Marp. So I'm probably going to have Marp down in the lineup, and I might even have him in the cleanup spot, depending on what he shows me over this three-and-a-half-week spring training. So I've got to figure out who my number two hitter is, and who my number four hitter is. And because I have the DH, my number two hitter might be Tommy Edmond. Yeah. Based on what he did last year. So if you have Wong, Edmond, Goldschmidt, Marp as your top four, and then probably Tyler O'Neill hitting fifth and Yachty hitting sixth, Fowler, if he's in there, hitting seventh, Bader eighth, and then who am I leaving out? I haven't hit DeYoung. DeYoung can hit fifth, and then they move everybody else down. So I kind of like that lineup. I kind of like the depth of that lineup. Because so much is contingent on Matt Carpenter also finding success offensively, I'm I'm always a little apprehensive moving him out of the leadoff spot because that's where he had so much success. When he was peak Matt Carpenter, that was where he was hitting. Right. And I know that that's probably not the way it's going to be constructed this season, but... He always talked about how he had a certain comfort level there. And he had a terrific spring training. And he, he had gone back to what he had done. Well, the hitter he was in 2013. Now, he was still striking out. And remember, in 2013, he never struck out. He would he was a great two-strike hitter. And I don't expect him seven years later to be the same guy. Mm-hmm. But he was going the other way. And he was showing more patience. And he wasn't just trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark on a regular basis. That's where Matt Carpenter is going to be best served and best served the ball club.
Meanwhile, from a pitching uh, rotation standpoint, 60 games in 66 days and three and a half weeks to prepare four or five man rotation. We talked to Mike Maddox a couple of weeks ago, and I'm still thinking five man rotation here for the Cardinals. So am I. Get everybody in a groove, and if you aren't going to get, and you aren't going to get a, a ton of innings, I don't think during the 60 games, you're going to have guys, even a single starter, that when you get to September, you say, okay, he's going to give us seven innings on a regular basis. I just don't think that's going to happen. That's How many seven inning outings do we see in April of a baseball season. We just don't see it. And that's where teams will be once they reach September. So I'm thinking you probably are looking at five or at best six inning starters. And here's where the Cardinals have a distinct advantage over a lot of teams. If you're getting five from Flaherty, Hudson, Martinez, Wayno, and Michaelis, we're going to get to Martinez in a second, or KK, uh, then you have, to me, a great group of pitchers to be piggyback guys. John Gann can come in and give you two or three. Uh, Reyes could come in and give you two or three. Ponce de Leon can give you more than that. Genesis Cabrera, Junior Fernandez can give you a couple of innings. So I think that's one thing that the Cardinals need to look at. We were talking during a break, Michelle, because of the lack of knowledge of what you're going to have. We don't know about Jordan Hicks, but you're going to have to work him in. The one guy among all of those pitchers that you know can close is Carlos Martinez. Mm -hmm. And we know that the Cardinals signed KK to start. So do you start the season because he's a guy you know can do it in the ninth with Carlos Martinez as your closer? It's certainly enticing. I think it... I don't want to start the season with a guy that I don't know about. Gallegos, Helsley. I know that they can pitch. I don't know if they can get the 27th out, though. There is something to be said for that, and Carlos Martinez is the one guy that's done that for the Cardinals. But when Carlos is healthy and he's right mentally, all of those things clicking, you know what he can give you as a starter. You do. And we saw him at, in, at the winter warm-up, and, he had ta- and Mike Mattis confirmed it when he was on the show with us, how um, professional... Carlos was being this offseason, how uh, serious he was taking this role and this responsibility, and he really understood the opportunity at hand here for him to be the pitcher he wanted to be, and he's been preparing as a starter, and I think if you're the Cardinals, while you know what he can give you as a closer, you also hope you know that what he can give you as a starter if he's healthy, and he says he is. He feels what, great. What it comes down to is he can do both. Is it more of a roll of the dice to go try Helsley or Gallegos as the closer, or Andrew Miller, who's saved 34 games in a season before? Yeah. Or is it more of a roll of the dice to put KK in your rotation? For me, it's more of a roll of the dice, especially because we talked about the offense. The Cardinals are going to be playing tight games. To me, it's more of a roll of the dice to put an unknown in there trying to get the 27th out. I just can't, and not that this should matter, but for Carlos to this entire time think, okay, I'm getting my... He's always said, I want to be a starter. I want to be a starting pitcher. For him to have that opportunity to have done seemingly everything right, everything that the Cardinals had asked him to do based on prior seasons when he hadn't done that, and to be healthy and ready to go as a starter, and for them to say, eh, we're going to bump you out of the rotation. We're going to have you be closer. I know it's a team sport and he's a team guy, but you also have to think about that. If he's if he's going to affect him mentally, yeah. If you don't want to disrupt him in that state either. But the thing you have to do is go to him and say, "You're the only guy we have to do it. You're you're the man. That's what you have to do." I also, and 
again, this is Major League Baseball, so I know this is asking a lot based on what we've seen the past couple months. But I would hope that a lot of egos would be checked prior to this season. There's no time to coddle feelings here. Literally. Literally, there's no time. If you're not performing, you're not going to play. If we need you in this role, we, you're going to do it, and I'm not going to hear any pushback about it. This needs to be like a parent to a child type thing. Like, what I'm saying is going, it's what's best for the team. For Mike Schilt and John Mozeliak and Mike Maddox, this is what we call a conundrum. And if, J- if Jordan Hicks is healthy and willing to rock and roll, then all bets are off. If he's throwing 103 on July 2nd in his bullpen, then he's your guy. That is Michelle, and I am Randy, and that is your fresh take here on 101 ESPN. Darren Pang will join us in the Blues booth, talk some Blues hockey as they get ready for training camp as well, next on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN, and it looks like within the space of a week, we'll have the Cardinals and the Blues each opening up their seasons. The Blues uh, inching towards starting training camp, getting guys on the ice over at Centene, and of course, the hope is that the season will start, the postseason, on the 30th of July. Darren Pang joins us in the Blues booth on 101 ESPN. He is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Panger, great to have you with us today. How you doing? Randy and Michelle, I'm doing very, very well. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? Everything's good. We were excited a couple of days ago to see the photos and the uh, the film of uh, Vladimir Tarasenko on the ice and smiling and being happy. Well, I, I guess so. I think that's, uh, I mean, something we were anticipating too, Randy, you know, but actually seeing it is uh, is exciting. Um, you know, he's got a, he, he's, he's got a unique personality. He, he does, uh, Vladdy does. I mean, he's a, uh, I think he he protects you know his uh, his private life very very well, um, but he's just like a little kid out there. When when he gets going and and, and uh, especially when he's been off for as long as he's been off, and then he gets on the ice and starts shooting pucks, and uh, you can just tell the uh, just the look in his face and the way he talks, uh, just just how uh, you know how fun it is to play the great game of hockey. And, and I love the fact that he's you know he, he's talking like all the other Blues are talking about, and that is. Uh, that they they're going to get down to business, and we've talked about it every week about what the players are going to be like. And once you get on the ice as a whole, uh, not the five and six guys in the small groups as part of phase two of return to play, uh, but once the actual camp starts, I mean, it is going to be uh, you know a, a pretty intense time to to jump right back into it again. And your attention to detail has got to be real sharp because now you're going over that video that you haven't gone over for for four months before. And now you've got to go over the neutral zone play and the defensive zone play. So I love the fact that he's out there and he seems sharp and seems eager to get back out and play. But number one, Randy, is that he is healthy. And that is going to be a huge plus after going the entire year without him. Uh, you're going to see a real eager player come jumping back on the ice with the boys. Panger, speaking of being healthy, I was reading in STL today about Alex Petrangelo and how he wanted his family and players' family members to be included in the Hub City bubbles. And while that obviously would be great for players to have their families nearby, it would relieve a lot of stress from their minds. You also have to, if you're the NHL, wonder about bringing so many people in because the more people that are involved in this, the less you can probably control. So what's your stance on that? Yeah, well, I think early on, I mean, when camp starts, that won't happen. But I, I, I do believe that, you know, once you get through the training camp uh, and likely through the uh, even the round robin for the Blues, uh, for the Blues, Colorado, Dallas and Vegas, uh, then, then I believe that these um, presentations by the hub cities and still we are at 
um, Vegas, Los Angeles, Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto, and Chicago. Uh, Minis out, Pittsburgh's out, Dallas is out. Uh, so we're still there at six teams. Every one of their presentations have to include uh, hotel rooms for not just the players and the staff that'll include around 50 people, uh, but then uh, for family members. So, um, you know, th- those are important parts of, of the hub presentations from all these cities and, and, and the whereabouts of the hotels and how nice the hotels are and what have you. Because the players are, you know, at one point, uh, just like playing in the World Championships, at the beginning, the families don't join them. Um, but I know with uh, Hockey Canada and, and, and USA Hockey, at one point during the tournament, you know, your families are brought in and, and you're able to, to be with them. So that'll be the case again. I, listen, a, a, guy like, a guy like Alex Petrangelo, as we well know, uh, having the triplets and, and a big family man, and he puts a lot of emphasis on family. Uh, which we all do, but you know he, he's a he's a big part of their the family and being a dad and being around. He's one of the guys that can really balance it. We saw that last year. Um, he had to be up at nights and and it had to be crazy for he and his wife. But yet he comes to the rink and, and he does his work and he and he you know and he's he's a pro. Um, some guys maybe can't handle it as well as other guys can, but uh, he does and he doesn't want to be without his family for an extended period of time. Totally understand that, and that's the relationship between the NHLPA and the NHL. And uh, they're going to make sure that these players are, are in a good mindset and, and, and not feel like they're being forced away from their family just to finish the season. So uh, I can totally see this happening. And uh, for all the guys that are dads, I, you know, I totally understand that, uh, that they want their families around with them at some point during this process. Panger, I would think that your business, television, is going to play a big role here. And I'm wondering if, because you're a former player, you have a great perspective on this. As an example, if Vegas and L.A. are the two places and you've got Eastern time zone teams, if you've got the Eastern Conference teams playing in L.A., you've got players playing at 10 in the morning. They, because my assumption is that the games will be at noon, 3, and 6 St. Louis time. Does it make difference? And especially with isolation, it really shouldn't. If players are playing at 10 in the morning, 10, 1, and, and 4 West Coast time? No, I, I, I actually don't see that happening that early. Um, I, I, still, there has, I, I still believe, Randy, that there has to be a, a, a regular routine. Um, you know, it was at the beginning of the playoffs, uh, even last year, remember in the first round and parts of the second round, uh, you know, a lot of times the Blues got stuck with an 846 uh, tea time, central time, and, and that was a, a disturbing time for a lot of people, and it's, and it, and it's not fair. I, I don't think just because it's going to be a hub city that you're going to have games that early. I do believe, and I, I'm recalling, I worked for the uh, CTV in Canada in the Olympics in 2010 in Vancouver, and the times of the games there, if I'm not mistaken, were 12, 4, and 8. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so there'd be that. That time would make sense there, maybe a little bit later even. So then you even get into the, the 4, you know, you know, maybe you get into the 4, 6, and 8, because maybe you can do it at different arenas as well, not just one rink. So I, I think there's a lot of possibilities, but I don't think the players, based on, again, they, they speak highly of the, and they've used the integrity of winning the Stanley Cup an awful lot. Uh, I don't believe that would include playing games at ten in the morning. I just think that's too early. You're, you're just not ready to go at ten in the morning. You're not. You know. You're. 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 It's just. 
way away from the, the the preparation clocks not meant for 10 in the morning. I agree, and that's why I think it makes sense for the league to go to either Chicago or Toronto rather than L.A., Edmonton, or Vancouver. But, you, you, you know, you could get more games in, I guess, at the, you know, at the East Coast time. You wouldn't just yeah. be one game a night. So, I mean, in the playoffs now, I mean, we're, you know, you're running – uh, as the as the network that represents the US, the US, you got NBC Sports Network, and they they run games on. I think they ran games on uh, MSNBC. Uh, I bet they used four channels. I think it was one USA was point, one of them. So, yeah, and USA was one. And then you've got your locals, obviously, like like Fox Sports Midwest. So um, so it wouldn't just be one game. So you could run you know four games out of out of you know a couple of different rinks at starting at four and six and, and the East Coast still gets their time in appropriately and then you've got the you know, then you've got the central and, and the uh and mountain time and, and, and uh Pacific time as well that you could throw in, in in almost real time. So I think there's a lot of variations. And I do believe, Randy and Michelle, that the experience that the NHL has and with so many executives on the T V side and, you know, using the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics as their examples of running a world feed I believe that they're going to be able to, you know, run this very efficiently and everybody's going to get their hockey fill and it, it'll be fair for everybody. It's a good point. Panger, great stuff as always. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you guys as well. Thanks, guys. See Take you. care. That's Darren Pang, card, uh, Blues analyst on FS Midwest in the Blues booth. The issue, if you're wondering, of cities has been solved by the Canadian government Mm -hmm. and you don't have to, the league league personnel won't have to deal with the 14 day quarantine to cross the border however, speaking of what Alex Petrangelo wants families of players aren't included in that waiver so that would be an issue for uh, American players that are playing for teams that would be in Toronto. I I just think it makes sense though And, and I know that Chicago has been a hot spot at times but Mm-hmm. It's calmed down a little bit. Chicago seems like a logical spot to me. I, I still, because you're going to have to have teams that are playing at 10 in the morning West Coast time. I don't think it just makes it makes sense for those guys. Where, what do you, uh, where's your stance on the families joining them? I think if a player, if it's that important for a player, I think that the family should be able to come along. I think mm-hmm. they should make allowances for that. I agree. Because imagine if you're... Alex Petrangelo, and you know that your wife and and kids are back at home, and you're thinking about them all the time. It would be hard to focus on the task at hand. But I understand too if you're the NHL and you're trying to limit the amount of people that you have involved in this process, because the smaller amount of people, the better chance you have of containing all of this. So I really do see both sides. And it is easier. I I, I know the dad being away is difficult. Yeah. But it is easier for a player to be quarantined if he is by himself and you don't have the family going out and grocery shopping during the day in a in a city or whatever shopping the family i wouldn't think doesn't want to spend the entire day in a hotel room waiting for dad to come back after a hockey game exactly that's michelle i'm randy coming up it's the fight on 101 espn Welcome back to Character and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 837, which means it's time for the fight. Colin, please let everyone know what we're fighting for today. We've got a new fighter, and their gift today, if they win the fight, is a gift card to Fox Sports Midwest Live, reopening soon at Ballpark Village. And we want to get you stocked up to be ready when they are. Jordan is our competitor today. Good morning, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are doing well. You ready to go? You ready to take on Randy this morning? 
As ready as I can be, I think. All right, Jordan. Question number one. The last shortened Major League Baseball season was the 94-95 season. Who led Major League Baseball in home runs during that 144-game season? Was it Frank Thomas, Albert Bell, or Rafael Palmeiro? Uh, Bell. Question number two, Jordan. On this day in 1977, Mark McGuire hit this 525-foot home run. The 3-2 pitch to McGuire. Swing and a high fly ball belted. And I mean belted deep to left field into the upper deck. My, oh my, what a shot by McGuire. That is probably the longest home run ever hit here. I mean, it almost got to the back wall. It will be interesting to see how far that ball is guesstimated. Which stadium did McGuire hit that home run in? Was it Bush Stadium, Three Rivers Stadium, or the Kingdom? Oh, uh, Kingdom. All right, Jordan, on this day in 1989, Vince Coleman stole his 39th and 40th consecutive bases to break Davey Lopez's major league record set in 19, 1975. Excuse me. How many seasons did Vince Coleman steal more than 100 bases? One, two, or three? Uh, I'm hoping two. <laughs> <laughs> and question number four, Jordan, which Cardinal led the team in stolen bases last year? Was it Tommy Edmond, Colton Wong, or Harrison Bader? Uh, Wong. All right, Jordan. Colin is off to get Randy. Jordan, what's your favorite sport? Uh, right now, cornhole. Yeah, great answer. <laughs> you call it cornhole? See, I always thought everyone in the Midwest called it bags. I, I've heard both. Like, I'm, I'm from Nebraska, so I'm oh. all over the board. Nebraska corn makes sense. Randy, do you call it cornhole or bags? Cornhole. Man, I am team bags over here. I'm fighting this fight alone. Say hello to uh, Jordan. Hey, Jordan, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Randy. How are you? Good. Is Jordan a cornhole guy? He says okay. he's heard both, but he's from Nebraska, so okay. cornhole. So I, I respect bags. I, I know what people are talking about when yeah. they say bags. Right. We're... we're we have to go on Amazon and get one for our household. We don't have one at home, so we've been thinking about that. Are you take it or leave it? It's going to have some sort of sports logo on it. You know what? Sports logo ones cost like two hundred and fifty bucks. What? Yeah, and you can get one without a logo for like fifty bucks. So it probably won't have the sports logo on it. But it was your initial thought. Yes, totally. All right, All right. Uh, Randy. Question number one: The last shortened Major League Baseball season was the ninety-four ninety-five season. Who led Major League Baseball in home runs during that one hundred and forty-four game season? It's funny because I was just looking at that 90, 1995 season this morning as we were preparing for this show. And I would say without any help whatsoever, Albert Bell hit 50 home runs that year. No helpers. Question number two, Randy. On this day in 1997, Mark McGuire hit this 525-foot home run. The 3-2 pitch to McGuire. Swing and a high fly ball belted. And I mean belted deep to left field deck my oh my what a shot by mcguire that is probably the longest home run ever hit here i mean it almost got to the back wall it will be interesting to see how far that ball is guesstimated which stadium did he hit it in i believe that was dave Niehaus. 
of the uh, the former broadcaster for the Mariners. So I'm going to go with the Kingdom. Randy, how many seasons did Vince Coleman steal more than 100 bases? 85, 86, and 87, I believe, were the only three. I don't think he, he did in 88 or 89 here, and certainly didn't once he left. So I'm going to go 300 stolen base seasons for Vince. All right, Randy, question number four. Which Cardinal led the team in stolen bases last season? I think it was uh, Colton Long. We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. All right, Randy, you won. What was the final score, Colin? Was it four to two? Four to three. Four to three. Okay, because we had to adjust. We had we had a, to add a question on the fly. Okay. Um, it was Albert Bell who led Major League Baseball in home runs during that 144-game season. Mark McGuire did hit that home run in 1997 in the Kingdom. Vince Coleman stole more than 100 bases, three in the first three seasons of his career. And, Colin, the last question. Colton Wong was the stole, stolen base leader for the Cardinals last season. All right. Good. Jordan, thanks so much for playing. Anytime. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you tuning in and texting in and being a part of it. And, of course, you can participate in the in the fight. Uh, we have it every morning at 8.30 at any time between the time we come on the air at 7 and about 8.15. Text the word FIGHT to 65780, and we'd love to have you participate in the fight here on 101 ESPN. Uh, that was just one of those weird things because... I was looking at that. Uh, we were looking for guests that were, could prepare for a shortened season uh-huh. uh, with a shortened spring training. And the only reason that I knew Albert Bell was uh, today was because I was actually reading about it this morning. That's why. Well, that was fortuitous. And I, I do think that Albert Bell, he's a good hitter. He's a bad guy, but a good hitter. And uh, he he probably did have some advancements of his regular body type. Enhancements? Yeah. And advancements? Yes. Both? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> you know, you ca- the strategy should be, I shouldn't say this. I should say this to the listener, not to you. Okay. But I'm just going to say it. I mean, the strategy for the fight is to just see what happened on this day in history. You have a leg up. It's a good start. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That was the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up. How does baseball handle its next biggest issue, which very well could be COVID-19? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. Well, baseball has a lot on their plate as they return from this layoff. Obviously, COVID-19 is going to be top of mind for them, but they also have a transaction freeze that's going to come to an end. And uh, teams that are out of it, you would think, are going to probably bail pretty quickly. And teams that have a need are probably going to take advantage of those teams that are bailing. Michelle, let's start with COVID-19. A couple of things. Number one, if a player does test positive for COVID-19, there is a COVID-19 injured list with no minimum or maximum length of placement. A player may be placed on that list based on a positive test or if a player exhibits symptoms and any player who tests positive will not be allowed to return until he tests negative twice and he'll be tested every other day. It seems like having that much testing, you're certainly reducing the margin 
for this to become a major problem. But as we know with this virus, it does spread so quickly and people cannot show symptoms for a while and still be spreading it. Uh, and, but while you're being tested, I would imagine that that wouldn't be a problem. But I, I don't know. With this virus, it's it's taken on so many different shapes that it, it should give everyone involved some concern. Any city is capable of becoming a hotspot. And MLB has, in the protocols, given themselves the right to relocate teams. If the regular season, uh, in the regular season and the postseason, teams can be moved to neutral sites for health and safety reasons. And size of the ballpark obviously doesn't make any difference. All you have to do is be able to find a ballpark and a city. For example, if we would have an outbreak in the city of St. Louis and the Cardinals would be affected, I don't know what the situation would be in Memphis, but they've got a really nice minor league ballpark with great major league dimensions in Memphis, and they could just have the team there for the duration of the season if they needed to. Yeah, it seems like there's some options there if need be. And Jeff Passan of ESPN says that while we are planning to come back, there's no guarantee that this is all going to be great. Oh, it might be a total disaster. Like, your pessimism <laughs> is complete. It's, it's, no, it's completely warranted. I mean, you know, the, the best way to have done this would have been in a bubble. Baseball had a bubble idea. The player said, we are not going to go live inside of a bubble for four or five months. And the bubble died. And so now we're doing this in home stadiums. And teams are going to be traveling. And we've already seen, you know, the Philadelphia Phillies, seven players, five staff members with coronavirus. Uh, today, three members of the Colorado Rockies. I mean, it, this is just an inevitability of what's going to happen, guys. And and the, the big fear is that there's going to be an outbreak uh, the size of which really shuts down a team. And and if that happens, does the whole sport shut down? Does the teams that were supposed to play against that team just miss games and have to make them up at another time? I mean, there are, there are a lot of questions here. And that, listen, it's, it's a really tough thing to solve. You would hope that with a 60-man roster that you'd have 26 healthy guys. You would hope. Take it or leave it. The, if the players could go back, they would be more on board with the bubble idea. Yeah, I'll take it. But knowing what we know now about what has happened in Arizona and Florida, it probably would not have wound up being a really good idea because of the outbreaks in those two states. Sure, but at least you have more of a controlled atmosphere where mm-hmm. you're saying we know exactly where teams and players are going to be stationed. We know who is coming in and out of this environment. We can monitor people, whereas now it's kind of a wave of personal responsibility. And that's very difficult if you're Major League Baseball to be able to trust every person involved in this, that they're going to do everything right. need be to make sure that everyone else is safe. And that's one of the things the Cardinals and every other team need to look at. John Mozeliak, the Cardinal Pobo, was on Fox 2 last night and talked about some of what the Cardinals need to prepare for. There's a long list of things that we need to prepare for over the uh, you know next week or so. And so, you know, certainly as we start thinking about when that first date will be, there's a lot of preparation that we need to And one of the things that he needs to prepare for is building a really good team. And, Michelle, it's interesting. The MLB uh, freeze, the, their transaction freeze, will end Friday, and teams will be able to make moves. And the Cardinals knew what they had at the end of spring training, and they have the same thing. I wonder if they feel like going into this 
truncated season, when you're trying to beat Milwaukee and the Cubs and the Reds and the Brewers, I wonder if the Cardinals feel like they are the best team in the division right now or if they need to make moves to try to get a little bit better. Well, everything we heard coming out of spring training was that the Cardinals' position was that they're very confident in their club. And I believe them when they say that, that they are confident in their club. And we know that they don't go out and, and make a lot of moves anyway. And so I would I would be shocked if they went out and were aggressive during this period. I would too. But if we get to a point where a team like Colorado, and we, we talked about teams bailing if they get off to a bad start. The trade deadline has been moved now to August 31st rather mm-hmm. than July 31st. If Colorado does desire to bail, and they're looking ahead and saying, okay, we aren't going to be generating a ton of revenue here mm-hmm. in Denver. It might be the best thing for us to move Arenado and the Cardinals, if they need a number four hitter at that point, that might be where the Cardinals pounce. Because if the Cardinals are really good at taking advantage of vulnerable teams, they've done it under the DeWitt ownership time and time and time again. And if there is any vulnerability on the part of the Rockies, I could absolutely see the Cardinals going in and saying, okay, we want Arenado, but we only want to pay him $25 million a year. You're going to have to pick up the rest of this. The The Rockies say, well, at least we don't have to pay the other $25. We'll pay the 10 but we aren't going to pay the 25 a year for Nolan Arenado, and we'll get a couple of good prospects back in return. Maybe the Cardinals do pounce at a time like that. I love the way you're laying this out. This is something that we've coveted for a long time. We've talked about this ad nauseum, and to think that the Rockies could falter and they would be in a vulnerable situation and that the asking price might not be as high, yeah, I would love to see the Cardinals take advantage of that. It would play right into John Mozeliak's hands. And I have to believe that by the time we get to August 31st, the Cardinals aren't going to have a guy where you say, okay, that's a number four hitter for the postseason. Arenado is a guy that can be your, whether it's Arenado or Goldie. Uh, Goldie could be your cleanup hitter in the postseason. That would be a formidable 3-4. It would be infinitely better than whatever they could put on the field as a 3-4 in 2020. Carlson might wind up being a 3-4 guy, but he's not going to be Arenado in 2020. To think that looking down the road, you could have a Goldie Arenado Carlson triple threat. How fun would that be? That'd be great to see. I, I can play with lineups. I'm not going to. I, but uh, well, I'll, I'll yeah, just go ahead. You, Why not? I'll, I'll, that, my two, three, four would. If Carlson is what we think he is as a switch hitter, he's my number two hitter, and then I would have Arenado hit third and Goldschmidt hit fourth, and that would be pretty good. I would say that would be pretty good. <laughs> so we'll take it. But uh, the the freeze doesn't end until Friday, and I would be surprised if. Teams would have many transactions that way, trades, uh, before we get into the regular season. That's Michelle, and I'm Randy, and this is 101 ESPN. Today's big thing is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're all going to have a lot of questions over the course of the next week or so about baseball's return and how it's going to work. One of those questions is about players that have family members that are uh, predisposed with underlying issues that could lead to COVID-19. If you have a, a uh, an autoimmune system issue, uh, you are predisposed to contracting COVID-19. Evan Drellich of The Athletic tweets that players who live with or are regularly in close contact with individuals at high risk for COVID-19 could sit out. But Michelle, they would 
not automatically receive pay and service time. And teams can still choose to be accommodating if they want to pay those players, but they don't have to pay those players who have family members that are susceptible. I could see that being a point of contention. I would think it should be. Yeah. And you're going to... You'll you'll see the difference between classy and non-classy organizations in a situation like that, won't you? Well, I mean, if the Cubs, Randy, biblical, biblical losses, I can't see them being accommodating in that way. Very difficult for them Very to be difficult. able to come up with money to, to pay a player that has those issues. Uh, the, what is your biggest concern, not about the Cardinals, but as we return to baseball, what do you worry about causing it to stop? Well, obviously COVID. And while we're going to have very consistent testing, I just, especially with baseball, when you think about the way the NHL and the NBA are going to be constructed, I I really think that they're going to be able to monitor and contain people in a more effective way. With baseball, it seems like there's going to be so many people in and out. They're going to be traveling, obviously, and that's a problem. And I just think based on what I've seen in my everyday life, Mm -hmm. where people are not as afraid of this virus... And while we're seeing outbreaks and higher numbers in a lot of different states and a lot of different places, hotspots are popping up everywhere. I still see people out without a mask and I see people not really caring about this. And I am not convinced that everyone involved in baseball is going to take this as seriously as they should. Let's say you're a month into the season and no one's tested positive. You don't think that people are going to get loose. Mm -hmm. They're going to get lax. They're not going to be following the protocols in the same way that they should before. And, you know, we heard Jeff Passan talk about how it could be a disaster. What if what if a whole team or, or the majority of a team who's in contention gets sick? That's an interesting question. And that was brought up in the article at The Athletic by Evan Drellich. Although he writes... Such problem seems unlikely to arise with, with each club drawing from a 60-man player pool. It's not out of the question that a team could lose all of its catchers to some combination of injuries and COVID-19. So with the minor leagues dormant, minor league or major league baseball plans to obtain scouting video and data from independent leagues that plan to operate around the country. The AAA Nashville Sounds are talking about organizing a league for their ballpark. League would sign players, stage games, sell tickets, the works. Plenty of minor League free agents, some with major league experience, are looking for work so you would have a bubble there in Nashville. And teams would be able to go out and grab a player from that league that is based in one spot. To think about the work that all these front offices and people involved in baseball are going to have to do. You're you're having to think of worst case scenarios, best case scenarios, and then you need a plan B, C, D, and all the way down because there's so much unknown that you want to be prepared for, but it's hard to prepare for something that you don't know if it's going to happen or not. Or, yeah, how, or, or the shape it might take. It's going to be totally unpredictable. So what do we expect? What do you expect in 2020? Here is Joshua with a mic drop to the Rhino Shield mic drop with the 101 ESPN app. One day at a time. I mean, that's pretty much the only model you can have, right? And as happy as we are that there's finally a return to baseball, and I know that we've already had Tioli, but take it or leave it. 2020 will go down as the most convoluted season in all of MLB history. I would say that it goes beyond all of MLB history. This will be the most convoluted season in sports history. Based on everything that's already happened... 
combined with all of the things that we know are going to happen one way or another, because you know someone's going to test positive, you know that there's going to be uh, contention still with both parties. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that I think this is going to be the most convoluted season. Here's a mic drop with uh, Matthew joining us. So with that said about hurt feelings, can we at least pencil in Carlson in left, Edmund at third, defensive upgrades... Edmund's bat is equal to Carpenter's bat, but he is a defensive upgrade. He is faster. Obviously, Carlson is better than Fowler, and then we can have Carp and Fowler fight over the DH. Can we Can we just pencil that in? Not inking in with a pen, just pencil it in, please. I think Michelle and I would both like to pencil that in. Mm-hmm. But I think also in just trying to be objective about how the Cardinals will treat things. As fans, I think we feel differently than the Cardinals do. And I put together a 30-man roster that did not include Dylan Carlson. Dexter Fowler is going to be an interesting case study this season because, you know, Mike Schilt is a player's manager. He respects his guys, especially his veterans. Um... Dexter Fowler did not have a great spring training. He had a terrible spring training. Terrible spring training. <laughs> terrible. And, but he said, Michelle, that he was working on things. He was working as on As he things. hit 097. But the problem with that, Randy, is that in a shortened season that's a sprint, not a marathon, you don't have time to work on things. You need to have your things worked out by the time you step into the batter's box come game one, pitch one. And so how would you handle a Fowler situation Who's due sixteen and a half million next year, plus the money that he'll get this year, and he's not hurt, but he's hitting o ninety seven after the first week of the season. Is the move that you make to jettison him in favor of Dylan Carlson to get Carlson onto the roster? From where I sit, yes. Now, from where the Cardinals sit, I, I just wonder how many teams are looking at this season and saying. This is going to be an outlier. We're not even planning for 2020. We're planning for 2021. And we might as well use Dexter Fowler now, save the service time on Carlson, and we'll talk about him in the future. I think that's the key. And by the way, that might be one of the chips you use in a trade with Colorado. He's from, he started his career there. They're familiar with him. He's familiar with them. Apparently, he liked it in Denver. And that would be a way for the Cardinals to defray some of what they would have to pick up in, in Arenado's contract with that. I think it's actually 17 and a half with the bonus for next year. So, yeah, you don't just cut him right away, but you try to use him as an asset. At what point in the season do you think teams will start to bail out where they say, hey, we're, we're not going to have a shot at this thing? And we need to start planning for 2021. I think it's that uh, it's at the trade deadline. It, it, you're a month in, and you know that you have no chance to make up that ground, and so you start saying, "Okay, I, I have to dump some salary here." It might be earlier for some teams if the Cubs get off to a bad start and they want to get rid of some of those contracts. It might be earlier for them. I would think most teams though will wait until that last week, a month into the season, will be the week before the trade deadline. From a fan's perspective, I think it's going to be so fun because if a team has a bad week, it's incredibly detrimental to their chances. Mm -hmm. But from a business perspective, if you're a team, it doesn't really give you a lot of time to evaluate and make the decisions that you're going to need to make. 
that'll be fun for us to watch whether teams do it or not. But I think the most fun thing will be to see who's really aggressive and who's going to take this world championship seriously. Say, okay, well, it's only 60 games. Yeah, it's not what it was, but we have a chance to win the World Series. So we're going for it. You still get the hardware. Yep. You still get the flag right. on top of the stadium. That's why the Cardinals need to be aggressive. Yeah, they do. Let's get one more mic drop from Keith. Good morning, Randy and Michelle. I'm glad baseball's back. One thing I haven't heard much about is fans coming to the games. As a 32-year season ticket holder, I'm very curious about that. The Cardinals have had my money since January. Um, I figure they're probably holding on to well over $100 million in season ticket money, ticket sales for regular season games, suites, party rooms, etc. That's a lot of money, and some of it's mine. I'd rather have it back if they're not going to let us in. Your frustration is very well noted. I, mm-hmm. I, I would be extremely frustrated if I were in the same situation as you. And we don't know yet whether or not we might wind up with crowds of 10,000 socially distanced crowds in September and or October. We just don't know. But the fear of baseball has been about... The, the virus taking the sports down, right? Yeah. So I would be really surprised if we would see fans in the stands this year. I really would. I would be shocked. As much as I would love to see it happen, I think if you're one of these leagues, you have to err on the side of caution. You would rather be safe than sorry. And you look at NASCAR, they had like 5,000 in the stands on Sunday, right? When they got rained out. But I don't think you can even do that if you're Major League Baseball because we go back to that trust factor. We, we hope that it's only family members that are living in the same household that are sitting with each other. But the reality of the situation is your baseball is a social event and you're going to utilize that as a social event. People are, not everybody, not you, Michelle, but there are going to be people that like you talked about, that have decided, ah, I'm done with the virus and are going to want to go to a baseball game and to hang out with their friends and cause the possibility at least of a hotspot being developed. Look at NASCAR. Bubba Wallace at the end of the race goes over to the fans. They're all crowded together. They are not socially distancing. They are not wearing masks. He, no mask, is going through touching everyone's hands. Mm -hmm. And he even apologized for it. But he said, I need to make sure that everyone sees I'm still smiling. But you're putting yourself at risk. Those fans are not following what the protocols would be. They're not socially distancing themselves. So... I, just, I imagine a scenario, imagine someone hits a walk-off home run. Mm-hmm. You're not going to high-five and jump and hug everybody. Of course you are. Yeah. It's human nature. So uh, while I have these reservations and concerns, I am 85% gleeful today. 85 is a good number. Yeah, I think so. I would say I'm around 80. See, the, I, I think we should, we should all be more, as baseball fans, more gleeful than not. At least 51 49. And I totally get the the concern. Some people are a lot more concerned and should be more concerned about the virus than others. If you're a 25-year-old male that has no underlying conditions, you're going to be different than the 74-year-old woman that has underlying conditions. I, I totally understand that. But it, it's the distract it's a distraction that we can use coming up in July. Especially after everything we've been talking yeah. about with baseball. It's great to finally arrive at this point. But until we see them out on the field, I'm holding my breath. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. It's coming your way on Character and Smallman.
is when I know that the 9 o'clock hour has hit its stride when we get to You're Killing Me Smalls. Are you thinking we only have two segments left and then a fun crossover with Andy Mack? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, yeah we're, we're nailing it this morning. You're killing me, Smalls! All right, Randy. Here, this is day three in a row where you've gotten that perfect. I think... What did they say? It takes 30 days for you to implement uh-huh. a habit. I think I've screwed it up enough. And we've had, <laughs> what, 34, 35 shows, something yeah. around there, that now I'm I'm prepared for it. But you just cannot disrupt the flow in any way because mm-hmm. you know I'll step over it. <laughs> I just get so excited to present you with a story that I can't wait to talk to you. I love that. Yeah. And I love this. This is good. All right, Randy. Ben Roethlisberger, Big Ben. Remember him? I do. Yeah, he used to be a quarterback at Miami yeah. of Ohio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he has been opening up about himself, about his private life, and about troubles that he's had in the past. He did a virtual conference called Man Up Pittsburgh. He was a guest speaker there, and he talked about how when he became a star in the NFL, he wasn't ready for the fame and fortune that was coming his way. He lost touch with his Christian values and fell into some dangerous addictions. He says, quote, I've fallen as short as anybody. I've been addicted to alcohol. I've been addicted to pornography, which makes me then the best father, not the best Christian I can be. You have to dedicate yourself and understand that you can get out of it because of the grace of God. I think he's stroking it quicker. Well, first of all, interesting that uh, it took you 30 days to quit the uh, stepping on the, you're killing me, Smalls. 30 days, it's all it takes. Uh, Good for him for opening up about it and learning that he can be his best self. Uh, I'm proud of the guy, but uh, I I wonder if he went into rehab. Well, I wonder if you go, like, could you do an online course? Could you do an outpatient porn rehab course? Well, what? Or did he just have to get rid of his phone? Did he get rid of. well, think about it. During during the pandemic, if you were in rehab, you know I'm sure that they had some sort of counseling via Zoom or something that you would have to do if you couldn't leave your house. If I'm not mistaken, it was mentioned in the Fast Lane that Pornhub provided free premium upgrades during the pandemic too. So generous. So where do you go on your computer that day if you're Ben Roethlisberger? Can't wait. You go to ESPN.com. <laughs> yeah, that's the play. And you focus on football. Well, are you? I'm really surprised that he was so open about this and admitted it. Especially a guy who's been accused of sexual assault twice. For you to come out and say I was uh, addicted to pornography, Um, and he really hasn't spoken a lot about that. So I just think that it was, you know, surprising to me to see him come out and say this. I am too. But isn't that also? And people that have been in rehab. That's part of it. Tiger talked about that, how talking about it is part of the process and admitting your past indiscretions. And maybe that is cathartic for him to get it out there and helps him get through his days. Wasn't that step number one, admitting you have a problem? Yeah. And if this is something that he's been working on for a while, he's probably gotten comfortable saying, hey, I'm an addict. Because if you're an addict, you're an addict. You you have to make that choice every day. But it's something you're going to live with every day for the rest of your life. So he's probably gotten comfortable enough to obviously speak out about it. But I think a lot of people might be ashamed to say that mm-hmm. or they might be fearful of 
hey, I'm going to come out and say this, knowing all the jokes that are going to come his way and how a lot of comments are going to be made at his expense. So I thought for him to do that, knowing it's going to get out publicly, was a, a good step for him. And if I'm a Steeler fan, I'm saying, okay, all well and good, but your elbow better be pretty good, too. Randy! They don't have a backup. If any team in the world should sign Cam Newton, it's the Steelers. I want to make a really off-color joke, but I'm not well, going come to. Come on, go for it. Would he be more worried about his wrist than his elbow? <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't really know, but... You're killing me, Smalls. Proud of you. Randy, we're just... I'm not recovering. I asked you if we should do that story first or last. We should have definitely done it last. Okay, Randy. We were talking about Major League Baseball and how they're not in the bubble situation that hockey and the NBA will be in and that you're going to have different people coming in and out. Well, one of the people that are definitely going to get clearance for Major League Baseball to be at the game, mascots. They're not going to be allowed at the ballpark during the games, but not on the field or in restricted area, but you're going to see mascots on TV. They're going to be involved somehow. That's good. I think they should at least be allowed, Fred Bird should be allowed on the top of the dugout, unless you have players sitting in the stands or maybe in the second deck running around. And so should Team Fred Bird. That's what they're doing in the KBO. They have dance teams and mascots that are performing. And I think that makes a huge difference in the way that the game is televised and the perception I get of it on TV. And those are people that you could have cheering for the home team, too. I think mascots should be allowed, and I think it's really an untenable situation for me that Major League Baseball isn't. The only reason I even wanted to talk about this story, imagine wearing a mask under the Fred Bird costume. Oh, that'd be the worst. The worst. Yeah. It's already, I, I imagine it to be so hot in there. We love Fred Bird, but those costumes do have a certain funk to them. Mm -hmm. Imagine having a mask in there. That hit, ooh. Yeah, just use the Fred Bird head as your mask and then put a mask over the beak. Yeah, if you have a mask over the beak, do you not have to wear a mask inside of it? To me, it counts. You're restricting it, but you have those holes in the eyes. You're still getting airflow. Yeah, but we don't wear masks over our eyes. No, but I'm saying it will come in through the eyes of the of the head. Fred Bird's real, Michelle. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> You're killing me, Small. Randy, I was reading the Los Angeles Times, and the Angels have decided that they're not going to renovate Angel Stadium, but they are building this entire multi-purpose, great environment around it. It's 150 acres of parks, shops, homes, and restaurants. If you look at the renderings, it looks very fancy and very beautiful. And we also heard that the Ducks are expected to unveil a work-live-play district um, anchored by the Honda Center. So take it or leave it, Randy. Anaheim is going to be the new L.A. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> they will. But why aren't they going to upgrade the stadium, though? They said that they're waiting that if they decide to do it, that there's a, a space that they can do it. But okay. they're going to construct all of this first. It sounds like they're trying to do a little Inglewood here. Uh, my second question was going to be, do you think Stan Kroenke is upset that there's going to be the all of these different multi-purpose communities around stadiums in the L.A. area. He should be upset because you've already got the uh, L.A. Live area mm -hmm. around Staples Center. Yep. And you've got the, the Grove, which is pretty cool. And then you're going to have his area, which I don't know if it'll be that great. But then if you have people that aren't going to come in from Anaheim because they've got a spot built, that'll affect his business. So he should be upset. Good.
which is great news for us. It is. Yeah, and the fact that he's going to have no fans in the first year at that stadium, to be around that stadium, to partake of the businesses around that stadium, his little development, I feel really bad for him. Oh, you hate to see it. it. Almost everything that he has envisioned has gone awry. It has. This is what we call karma in the business. It is karma. But they, I mean, from where we sit, things couldn't really have aligned any better. The stadium was delayed. It's cost him a lot of money. The team's not going to be that great when they debut. This big, shiny new toy that you constructed and you couldn't wait to show off is not going to have fans there, most likely. And how lucky are we that we didn't build a $1.1 billion stadium that was supposed to open this year? Good point. For the Rams. Great point. Didn't even consider that. Yeah. So we we fell into a little bit of luck, too. Remember when it first happened? I forget who was the who the analyst was, but somebody said, I know St. Louis is heartbroken about the Rams leaving, but from an economic standpoint, this is probably the best thing that yep. could have happened to them. Yeah, it probably is. And obviously, that stadium would have gotten off to a really bad start. It wouldn't be looking... We wouldn't be very happy right now about that stadium opening up before no fans in 2020. No. That's your killing me, Smalls. Great job as always. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in to 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to talk to a doctor who treats a lot of athletes about how baseball and other sports can deal with COVID-19. Dr. Rand McLean is next on 101 ESPN. We were thought we we thought we were going to have an interview with Dr. Rand McLean and talk a little bit about COVID, but uh, Michelle and I we hit on something in that last segment, and I I think we need to do we we need to spin it forward a little bit here about how we are kind of lucky, Michelle, as upset we were as we were on that January twelfth of twenty sixteen when the NFL approved the move of the Rams to L.A. We did get kind of lucky in a way now with COVID and the fact that the stadium wouldn't be open. And my belief that the NFL has apexed, I wonder if and with what's happening in L.A. with the skyrocketing cost of that stadium, you think that they're in some way we're lucky that the NFL didn't stay here? I think we're very lucky. And that's not just from the anger and bitterness that we feel towards the NFL and towards the Rams. I think from a financial standpoint, when you look at at what this would have cost St. Louis, because Stan Kroenke was not going to foot the whole bill here the way that he is in L.A. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a lot of hundreds of millions of dollars of publicly funded money, right? And to think that you could have spent all this time building the stadium and then when you were set to open it and have all the fans there and start to generate all of this revenue that a pandemic hits mm-hmm. and you're not going to get that it would have been very detrimental to St. Louis. Let me spin this another way. And this is a way that I really haven't looked at it before. But if we have National Car Rental Stadium does Enterprise become as interested in bringing MLS to St. Louis? Probably not. I don't think so. So it's uh, it really is an interesting way to look at it. And we got kind of lucky. I think that we didn't. And obviously, the pandemic is a huge story. Baseball coming back in the midst of the pandemic is a huge story. And Rand McLean is a doctor. He's the chief medical officer of LCR Health. He treats professional athletes and easier to talk about bringing sports back in the midst of a pandemic. Dr. McLean, thanks so much for taking some time with us today here on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start with this. We've read throughout the course of the morning that with the new baseball agreements to come back, that their biggest concern is an outbreak of COVID-19. How much should they be concerned about COVID-19 being a part of what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis going forward for the rest of this year? Well, you know, your question is kind of loaded in what they're dealing with. They being, you know, the entire society is, is, is up against this pandemic. And if they institute the protocols they plan on instituting in this so-called bubble, they'll be better protected than the average person, right? So I think the key is entering the bubble. You have to make sure that you do the testing up front. And in the case of Major League Baseball, because it's not really considered a contact sport, you won't necessarily need to do as much testing during the season, but you certainly want to test at the entrance gate, so to speak. Also, Dr. McLean, one of the things Randy and I have been discussing is college football. You're seeing a lot of players uh, in these group workout settings testing positive. We're, we're seeing um, spikes, 100-plus players testing positive. I worry about college football because while this virus doesn't seemingly affect younger people in the same way it does other demographics, I also think you run the risk of younger people not following the protocols as strictly as a lot of these other leagues might. How do you think that um, continuing positive tests in college football could impact the sport? Well, I think you hit on probably the biggest problem with, with college sport, not to pick on any group, but we are dealing with, for the most part, teenagers and it's, you know, the, the, the devil's in the details and it's in the execution of the protocols where these players, if they follow the protocols, will be protected more than others. And I think it needs to be emphasized to each and every player, each and every team that it isn't just about you and your teammates. It's about the other teams as well, because once you get on the field and you've got linemen, you know, 12 inches apart from one another and you're, there's plenty of contact, you're risking other players, other teams as well. So, yeah, that, that one's that one's a tougher one than, say, again, uh, you know, baseball or tennis or golf where there's not as much guaranteed contact. Dr. McLean, both the NBA and the NHL are going to be uh, the NBA is in their hub in Orlando. The NHL is going to have two pod cities. If both of those leagues can get their players in there and none of them have tested positive, what is the chance of one of those players in a bubble or in a pod uh, testing positive and infecting everybody else? If, if they are just going back and forth from a hotel and playing the sport, albeit a contact sport, against other people that have tested negative? Well, nothing's guaranteed, and I think that's a major take-home message that we all have to understand is that we're not going to reduce the risk to zero, but what, from what we're seeing, when people are following proper protocols and using where you, it oftentimes doesn't apply in medicine to follow just common sense. We find some special thing we didn't know about or didn't consider. But in this case, it looks like if you practice the, the protocols, the distancing, the, the masks, staying in areas of plenty of ventilation, et cetera, we can do a pretty good job. And, and again, it goes back to execution. If the players stick to the guidelines and they just go to and from practice, et cetera, um, we should be able to pull this off and, and pretty safely. And the odds are certainly very, very reduced that we'll see more infections. How do you think society is doing outside of the sports realm? Michelle and I see people out without masks all the time, and it seems like people have gotten bored with the idea of protecting others and themselves. How do you, from a medical perspective, think society is doing? 
I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think people have gotten frustrated and bored and it's leading to emotional rather than rational decisions, which we're, we're apt to do sometimes as humans. I think it's unfortunate if people decide, certainly in, in areas where you, you increase the risk of infection, not wearing masks, not just for themselves, but really more for other people, which goes back to ourselves. If, if we keep it from spreading, obviously it, it helps everyone. Um, I, I think we're going to see a little bit of a, a backlash as it continues to spread. That being said, though, it's important to note, and I'm, I fully disclaim I'm an eternal optimist, notice that the death rate, the, the, the mortality rate, as we call it, um, is still dropping even though the infection rate is rising. So that's at least some good news. We're optimists on this show, too, Dr. McLean. So we appreciate that perspective. Uh, one last question for me. When you look at these different sports and how they're getting ready to gear up, they talk about daily testing or testing every other day. And that's not just players. It's, it's really everyone that's going to be involved in this scenario. And my initial thought is to think if everyone's getting tested and someone is positive, they will be obviously quarantined and away from the group. But if you're continuing to test everyone, it seems unlikely that an outbreak would happen. But in your opinion, how would an outbreak happen if everyone's getting tested all the time? What, what's, what's the path that that would take? Well, you're right on the mark. If they're going to test regularly like that, then we should be able to identify someone who's got infected before it travels very far at all. So that's a huge mitigating factor in terms of risk. But the way it's going to break down is someone's not going to follow the rules. Um, there is always the chance, obviously, and that's what I said earlier about you can't mitigate the risk 100%, but even if someone is staying six feet away uh, and wearing a mask, for example, there's a, there's a chance that if someone near them sneezes, for example, and, and, and unleashes a, um, a, an, an adequate dose, which is actually a small amount with this particular virus, from what we can tell, that, you know, it penetrates the mask and somebody gets infected. But with regular testing, it takes a breakdown in execution to, to really increase the risk significantly. Dr. McLean, thanks for the great information. We appreciate you joining us this morning and have a great day. Hey, my pleasure. You too. Thank you. Take care. That is uh, Dr. Rand McLean. He's the chief medical officer of LCR Health. He treats professional athletes. And I I was going to ask one more question, but he answered it. And that is in regards to, we talked earlier about getting fans in the stands for the Cardinals. But if somebody sneezes indoors or outdoors and you're within 10 feet, I don't know if you've seen that graphic video of somebody sneezing in a grocery store and where the particles go throughout the store. Same thing at a ballpark. And that's why you have to be very careful if you're a a professional sports team about putting fans in the stands, especially if you don't have them signing waivers to get into the stands. Absolutely. And a lot of the things that I've read talk about airflow and think about an outdoor stadium. You can't control that. You can't control the spread of particles because of the weather. No, so that makes sense, and it would surprise me if at least for the rest of this summer we would see, until you get to the SEC football season, if you'd see fans in the stands. Then you, you get down there, and they don't care. You you think even everything that we know, and if every other league going, no fans, SEC, still fans? Yes, Alabama, they'll sell out. South Carolina, they'll sell out. Auburn, they'll sell out. Absolutely, they'll be full. Don't you think? I just, I don't know if they if they can get it done. I mean, I'm not that they wouldn't sell the tickets, yeah. but if from a health and safety oh. protocol standpoint, if they would be willing to do it. 
Uh, they don't care. <laughs> hey, they, we want to watch our football. <laughs> Football's live. Yeah, it is. It, uh, one of my favorite books ever. It's called Rammer Jammer Yellow Hammer. That's one of the things they yell at Alabama football games. And it's about a writer who embedded himself with Alabama fans for a full season. And there was one couple that had been to every game for something like 26 years. And they decided that because Alabama was playing on a Saturday afternoon, they would not go to their daughter's wedding. But they did have the qualifier. We went to her reception at night. They, well, they missed her daughter, their daughter's wedding to go to the Alabama game. I initially wanted to shame the parents, but if you're the daughter, you know that that's their life. So why would you schedule your wedding on a, a college football game day? What's a bigger part of your life, Alabama or the daughter? That's the decision they had to make. Well, it's pretty clear. College football is left on there. Yes, it is. That's why they're going to sell out in full stadiums. Yeah. It's life and death. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> We're going to cross things over with Danny Mac next on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac coming up here at the top of the hour on 101 ESPN. So we get these emails all the time about phishing awareness and you know, how to protect yourself against scams on the Internet and stuff. And so we got one uh, that actually looked legit. So I sent it to our IT guy and uh, he wrote me a an email back and said, hey, they can send a paper memo if they feel serious about it. <laughs> said, yeah, good. I like that. Good okay. Because I, I questioned something that they had sent me. So, and I, he said that uh, I did the right thing. Good. I'm not going to be, be safe. I'm not going to be P-H-I-S-H'd, fished. No. Don't do that, Randy. Be uh, smart. Trying to be. I'm not going to be Ben Roethlisberger and have my computer be mol- mol- slow as molasses. What happened with Ben? A porn addiction. Well, at least he was open and honest. I give him credit. Me too. Came out and uh, he's, he's, he said he had some addictions. and I give him I credit more too. credit for him. I, I bet he walks too. into that uh, locker room and guys put their armor on him and say, it's okay. Oh, yeah, they will. It's you just know? he messed up his computer probably. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> just saying. You're mocking it, though. I'm not mocking. Yes, no, you I'm, are. I'm giving the guy credit. No, you're mocking. That's not good. I'm not. I'm you're leaving that. Take it or leave it. I'm leaving that, Randy. That's not funny. I like to mock guys now and then. Yes, you do, and that's not funny. Are you surprised, Dan, that an athlete of his stature would come out and admit that and talk so openly about it? I gave him a lot of credit for doing that, but especially someone like Big Ben. You're in football, and you know that a lot of people are going to be talking about this and probably making jokes at your expense. And I just, I, I was surprised to see him do that. I think this day and age, more so guys do it now than ever. I do. I, I think social media has gotten to the point uh, that, not that it's accepted, I just think guys just are, they're an open book more so than ever. Not that everybody is, but more so that players have dealt with so much, and he's dealt with so much from the motorcycle accident. Um, he's the face of the franchise. He's been a face of their city in a way because it's a Steelers town. Um, the ups and downs of, of winning and losing in that town, I, I think you're just like, whatever, man. You know, I dealt with it. I, I wear it, and this is who I am. I'm comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. You just deal with it. I, I do. I, I, I just think you're more comfortable doing it. I do. And I think Roethlisberger is criminally underrated. 
And he, are we going to put him in the top five of all time? No, but he's really good. He's, really, I mean, he's a guy that's thrown for four and 5,000 yards, thrown a bunch of touchdowns, won a couple of Super Bowls. He's been really good for a long time. Long time. What was what, what, the, the class that he was oh, in? Four. It was Eli one, Rivers four, and Big Ben, I think, 11. How about a, I, I still can't get out of my mind the picture of him at late last season, Sunday night football. And um, do you guys remember? With he's the wearing, the, Yeah, and he's got the overcoat on. He's oh, got the yeah. headset on. I thought he was an offensive line coach. I thought he was Yukon Cornelius from Rudolph. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I, how big he was. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. huge. Yeah, he's a monster. He is. And you're right. He's uh, underrated. He, and he's going to the Hall of Fame. Yes, he is. Undoubtedly. All right, you have expressed confidence throughout that baseball would return, and baseball is going to return, providing they can get through spring training without any major catastrophes. As you look at the way things unfolded last night and what you know now about this 60-game season, what are your biggest takeaways? It's still the virus. I I mean, I'm still cautiously optimistic. I... I still think it's the virus. I've said it from day one. You know, I mean, it's it, it, we'd be naive to think that when these guys start to report that we're not going to hear about a bunch of positive tests. So quarantine, get them away. Uh, I think we're going to hear about a bunch of them. I hope we don't. But I think we do hear about a bunch of positive tests. Get the guys out of there. And now that they're going to be tested regularly, that um, you, you go through the proper protocols and then just try to handle it the best you can. I, I still believe the the best plans are the NHL and the NBA. I think they will get through those because they're in a bubble situation and it just seems to be the isolated situations are the best and then as teams get eliminated fewer people are there and baseball's trying to do it amongst the general public and it's going to be mm-hmm. tough and baseball really will the team is going to have to police each other players are going to have to police each other as much as they can don't be lax it's two months try to do the best you can it's going to be really tough though man it's just going to be so tough and you know, God forbid you get a, a bunch of guys that get it and then it wipes out a team or it wipes out a particular position group and then you're diving into your taxi squad or going to Nashville and signing a bunch of independent mm-hmm. players, which could happen. Um, but they seem to have figured out just about every potential scenario to try to make this thing work. And it's crazy, but, you know, we're, we're going to have baseball. So I, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about it. I hope it works and we'll see if it does. I, I know some people believe that well, if you get through, you know, spring training, well, then it, it's going to work. I, I look at it the other way. I think you get through spring training, it's going to be the regular season that's going to be the tough part. You talk about players holding one another accountable. I think that's going to be a very interesting dynamic to observe because some people are inevitably going to take this very seriously and other players are inevitably not going to take it as seriously, especially if you're a month into the season and no one's really tested positive. You're going to relax a little. You might yeah, not be following the exactly. guidelines as closely. And... For those people who are still taking it very seriously, it it will be interesting to see how they approach it with their teammates who might have differing opinions on it. I can tell you, though, Michelle, social media has changed. I've been doing the games almost 25 years. And when players first, when I first started doing the games, players would go out. They felt comfortable going out and being normal human beings, like going out, having a cocktail, having dinner, you know, socializing, where now everybody in society is a reporter 
I, I mean that sincerely. Like, you go out, everybody's got a camera on their phone. So maybe you're out late, and you're just trying to be a kid doing what kids do. Because these are kids, some of them. They're 19, 20, 21 years old, and they're around a group of females and having fun and having some drinks and just enjoying themselves and they can do that that they're allowed to do that but you know somebody clicks a picture and they're having fun and all of a sudden it's on social media and oh look at that guy look at what he's doing well yeah he's being a kid okay and everybody draws conclusions on how they want to look at it well um, all of a sudden, guys realized, I better not do that. And so what do they do? And I'm serious about this. Some guys go upstairs and they go to their hotel room and they go play video games. Seriously. They order room service and maybe order some beers and hang around with their teammates and talk a little baseball and hang out with their buddies and their teammates and play some video games. BT That's what said they do. Kyle Loesch was one of the players that had a suite on the road. Yeah. And they'd have the whole team up there playing video games and they'd have tournaments. And yeah. that, that was what they did. Uh, Thursday night football. Hey, guys, let's go get a suite or let's, uh, you know, figure out a place that we can go in the hotel and just go watch Thursday night football and hang out so we don't, you know have a bunch of people bothering us. And I, I don't mean that in a wrong way. I just mean it and let's be a, uh, you know safe about it so yeah. no one gets in trouble, you know? I mean, that's what they do. So take that approach. I, I, I honestly think the, the first meeting that they'll have as a group will be, okay, what are we going to do to be responsible and make sure that we don't do anything stupid because we all are literally responsible health-wise for each other. We have to do this for each other. So make sure that we don't do this. Don't go outside our bubble. Now, will the virus get in? It could. I mean, you're relying on the bus driver. You're relying on cooks. You're relying on people at the ballpark, the guy that's raking the the dirt and preparing the, the, you know, the, the chalk lines and things of that nature. I mean... It's not going to be foolproof. It just can't be. But as long as we, we can try to take care of each other the best we can, I mean, that's that's all you can do. And let's just get that first world championship out of the way. This, the first for this decade. Is this the start of the end of a decade, a zero? I think a lot of people say it's the end. I I'm, thought it was the start, but I'm I think it's the going to go with the start. End. And let's, just, let's get 12 and 20. By the way, they're going to have a really good shot. They are. I, I, I've been doing this, too. I've been thinking about just purely baseball. They're going to have a really good shot to win this yeah. thing. Like, if, if we get through this and just look at it from a purely baseball standpoint, they're going to have a great shot because they, they're loaded with pitching. They're loaded with pitching. A lot of teams aren't. And, by the way, the, the teams are playing. Some of them are awful. Like their schedule plays it out that they have a chance to win. And I'll be fascinated um, if the Cubs start dumping and if some teams want to take on those contracts. You don't know. Maybe they do. Um, they they would have a chance to win. And their pitching is really good. So let's see what happens. Looking forward to scoops with Danny Mack. Who do we got coming up? Uh, really get into the protocols, the health and safety protocols of what we can possibly expect and how it may work with Brian Walden, who dives into these things. I, I visit with him every Wednesday. I think he's he's just done a great job with this. And then how it has a trickle-down effect in the minor leagues. So Brian Walton coming up from thecardinalnation.com. Love it. Have right. fun. Thanks, guys. Danny Mac Scoops with Danny Mac coming up. And thanks to our producer-engineer, Colin Surrey. Great job as always. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Michelle, this was fun. This was fun, Randy. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. And uh, whatever you do... Just, uh, if you're going to do what Ben Roethlisberger did, just make sure that you get some outpatient.
care, right? But have fun doing it. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the program. Till tomorrow at 7, have a great day, St. Louis.